It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Using free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's Tuesday, the 15th of August. Year of our Lord, 2023. Well, there was midnight madness last night as we had the uh, local attorney in Georgia file multiple felonies against Trump. We're going to talk briefly about that and what the real issue is. We're also going to talk about what is happening in Hawaii. We had a lot of people uh, telling me I need to cover what is happening in Hawaii with directed energy weapons and Agenda 2030. So we're going to talk about that. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Take a look at the Drudge Report <laughs> this morning. It's like, uh, yeah, at, at you know midnight raids and and so forth uh, with Trump. Trump charge. I'll just read the headlines here. Just take a look at this, just to give you an idea of how uh, there is a feeding frenzy about the people who don't like Trump. Look, I don't like Trump, 
but I also don't like uh, politicized prosecutions, which is what this is. Uh, Trump charged in Georgia 2030 election probe his fourth indictment, 41 counts against the ex-president and his 18 associates. I, this prosecutor, Willis, in uh, Georgia, is so over the top. I mean, she's just, you know, machine gunning down everybody in sight. Forgery, racketeering, false statements, impersonating a public officer, soliciting public officers to violate oaths, and much more. And again, it goes back to this. We need to just find 11,780 votes. Was that a directive? Is that something that he was, or is he just saying, you know, I'm only down, you know, 12, under 12,000 votes here. It's really close. We need to figure out what's going on with this. You know, that is the heart of the issue. And I think that's a nonsense statement. I mean, certainly if you look at the way that, uh, the inaccurate way that Trump always talks, speaks. The most serious threat, they say, Giuliani and Meadows indicted. A spectacle that has become surreally routine. Campaign attacks the family of Fannie Willis. Well, of course. Uh, Ten days to turn himself in. Maga Rico. You know, they're putting racketeering influence, um, uh, uh, corrupt influence or influence of uh, corrupt organizations into this. That's the, and again, they show Trump as the mafia Don, uh, but the MAGA Don and, uh, indicating this is organized crime. Look, this is, unfortunately the Rico statutes are not something that's been reserved for organized crime. That's how the way they began it. Uh, they began it by going after that. They said, you know, we can't get these convictions against these, uh, drug war guys because they've just got too much money. So tell you what we'll do. Um, we will, we'll take the money first and then we'll come after them so they don't have money to defend themselves. Seriously. And out of that, I talked about this once before. How did we get civil asset forfeiture? Well, it grew out of that kind of stuff. And guess who was right there at the beginning of it? All of it, even when it was being done in the Reagan administration, the guy who was taking credit for it was right there at the center of it was Joe Biden. The biggest authoritarian opponent of the Constitution his entire life. As I've said many times, listening to, uh, we were driving through the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains here on vacation, which we used to always go to. Uh, I remember it well um, in my uh, MR2, getting Karen Karsick, <laughs> switching through the turns, uh, and listening to NPR and the Clarence Thomas hearings and how Biden hated the whole concept of natural rights that our government is based on, the fact that we have God-given rights that are inherent to every person. He hates that idea. You don't have any rights. you got privileges that I give you. The guy who gave us vaccine mandates and all the rest of this stuff. But here's the issue. And Jonathan Turley wrote an op-ed piece on it. I've said this over and over again. I said they're pushing us to a civil war with Trump. I would like to see Trump, and I think Trump should be locked away for the rest of his life and or executed. And I'm serious for what he did in 2020, the lockdowns, the hospital death protocols, bribing the hospitals to kill people, bribing the governors to use the public health authorities, the bureaucrats, and a kind of medical martial law to confiscate our businesses, to tell us we're not essential to lock us down. Trump funded that stuff. He funded the pharmaceutical stuff as well. They gave him a few million dollars during transition period. And in his final year, he gave them back tens of billions of dollars. Return on investment, you, you can't get a return on investment anywhere like you can when you buy a politician, especially 
a corrupt president like Trump, who betrayed us, did everything that the globalists and the World Economic Forum wanted to do, and more. And so why is he getting a pass on this? Why is Biden getting a pass on this stuff, right? And so that's one level. The serious crimes are ignored for both of them because they both ought to be in jail the rest of their life, and that life ought to be cut pretty short with an execution team for what they did. But no, they go over these other things that are out there. And look, Biden and um, Hunter have got some real serious crimes. They're not even being looked at. These are non-serious things that they're coming over with Trump. And again, he's guilty of very serious crimes, the most serious crimes against humanity of anybody in my lifetime. And so, uh, but he's getting a pass on that, and they're coming after him for this little stuff. And so it's firing everybody up on both sides. And they're firing us up into a civil war, which again, everybody is ready to have a civil war because it's a fourth turning. Everybody is fed up with these corrupt institutions. They've been around for 70, 80 years, and we understand just how corrupt they are. We're ready to just wipe the slate clean. I mean, we stop and think about how many candidates are now saying, get rid of all the bureaucracies and so forth. Um, that was 20 years, no, 30 years ago in the 90s. That was what the radical libertarians were saying. And we'd say, you know, you got to get rid of the IRS. You got to get rid of the FBI, things like that. And people are like, you're not serious. Come on, you nuts. And now you've got the mainstream candidates all saying it. Why? Because we're in a fourth turning. And everybody knows that. And so the elites know that we are ripe for a civil war. Here's how they're exploiting it. Jonathan Turley says, it is an age of rage. The University of Chicago report finds 30 million Americans view violence as justified to keep Trump from power. And then, of course, you've got millions of more who say violence is justified to put Trump in power. You see how he's the dividing line here for a nascent uh, civil war? Jonathan Turley said, I recently asked in light of the free speech implications of the second federal Trump indictment, when the price is too high for those who seek to jail the former president. You know, when we look at the document situation, right? Yeah, yeah, he's guilty. He's guilty of sin of that. Again, it's a process crime. I don't care. Yeah, he's guilty. He broke the law with the document. So did Hillary Clinton. They gave her a pass. So these other people, they gave them a pass. But they want to put him in jail for that. It's not a serious crime. What he did in 2020 was a serious crime. The election fraud even goes to him and his lockdown election. He did that. He did that. And I said, I'm not voting for somebody that did what he did to the Constitution. I said that in 2020. And I said, and why are we having an election anyway? When Trump turned this stuff over to the public health officials. He turned the government over to Fauci. He paid the governors to turn it over to the public health officials. What are we voting for? These governors have been bribed. Trump's been bribed. They've turned this over to unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats, and the Republican legislatures sit on their hands with a gag in their mouth and a mask over their face. I'm disgusted at these people. I wouldn't vote for anybody. The only person to vote for would be a local sheriff if they did the right thing, or you could find one who said he's going to do the right thing. As far as the rest of the people who did nothing while all this stuff was happening, forget about it. I'm not, I'm not going to waste my time to go five minutes to vote for these people. So I said, vote for the sheriff. I didn't even bother to vote in Texas because the, uh, you know, I wasn't staying there, and the sheriff was bad in our area. So 
End of story. But when we look at what is happening, it was 12% of the population, representing 30 million people, believe that violence is warranted to prevent Trump from assuming the presidency. You see, the leftists are even more authoritarian and violent than the people on the right. 12%. It was 7% who would go to war in order to uh, put President Trump, put Trump back in the presidency, I should say. Uh, here's the way this is broken down by mainstream media when they talk about it. In looking at some of the research you shared with us, CBS, one of the things that stood out, you are seeing this radicalization on both sides of the political spectrum. 30 million people, according to your numbers, think the use of force is justified to prevent Donald Trump from being president. 18 million think it's justified to restore Trump. To the presidency. Exactly. What we're seeing is not simply um, a manifestation on the right. The, that is absolutely important. And there's no doubt that January 6th, the crowd that sieged the Capitol. They don't want to talk about how the left is more on the violent. Left. So I'm not trying to draw <laughs> that equivalence. But nonetheless, what we need to look at are the sentiments on both the right and the left that are being radicalized to millions and millions of uh, Americans. And this is important because political, uh, these sentiments are a bit like uh, understanding wildfires, the first part of your show. It's the dry kindling that is so important that we can measure in advance. We can't measure political, uh, political uh, scientists like myself or meteorologists, a campfire that could set off that kindling or power lines that could set off that kindling. What we can actually measure and see whether it's growing, shrinking, are the sentiments for political violence in the country. And those are growing. And it's important, not because every one of those people is going to commit political violence, but because it helps to legitimate political violence. And it is the pool of people that ultimately do commit acts of political violence. And that was MRC TV pulled that out. Good, good for them to get that. It's kind of interesting, right? Even though it's 12% of the left and 7% of the right, they want to focus really on those dangerous people on the right. Well, you know, the people on the right who uh, want violence, <laughs> they're more capable of carrying it out, quite frankly. I think I knew we saw a lot of violence from Annie Fall and people like that in Portland, Oregon. But um, if you had a full blown, um, as <laughs> mother's son said, not Travis, mother's son said, uh, I put my money on the people on the right, even if they're a smaller number. You know, you got uh, 30 million on the left who want violence to keep Trump out, would support it, I should say. And you've got 18 million on the right who would support violence to put him in. So we're thinking about 48 million people, 7%, 12%. We're looking at about one in five people right now on a civil war. Now, we've got four trials coming up. And this is going to be a big soap opera. I'm not even going to take a look at these charges. This is nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. But this is a provocation. And I've said for the longest time, I'm glad to see Jonathan Turley talking about this, but he doesn't talk about it the same way I do. I said Trump is the dividing line. Trump is the Mason-Dixon line, if you will, of this next civil war is what people are going to be fighting over. They're not going to understand that the real fight is over um, you know, what kind of uh, how, how society is being reset into a globalist agenda, right? 
they're not going to be, uh, they're, they're going to be fighting over Trump, not over what they should be angry about, which is the chains of slavery being forged for us with CBDC and the smart cities and the, uh, the great reset, the green agenda, the climate lockdowns, the, uh, so-called pandemic lockdowns, all the rest of this stuff. That's what they should be angry over. But no, they're going to be angry over Trump. Look at this guy, right? We got to, as these trials come in the next few months, the level of ang anger on both sides is going to escalate. It really is. Uh, so Chicago Project on Security and Threats, it was a survey found Americans are embracing violence as an option for political change. And Trump is the person to support it. The Trump derangement syndrome, you can fall off on the left or you can fall off on the right. More people have fallen off on the left, but they're going to bring the people on the right up to speed with these indictments. You know, And the, the people on the left will also escalate as they look at these indictments. And as he's likely to beat these things uh, because they're nonsense, that's really going to escalate the left. He got away with this stuff? And, um, you know, they can get convictions. That'll make the right really angry. And then they can not send him to jail, but, you know, say you can't run for president. You got to stay in Mar-a-Lago under house arrest for a period of time or something like that. That'll make the right really angry. They'll both be angry over that. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And that's probably what they're going to do. They'll probably get a couple of convictions and they'll say, you can't run for president, you got to stay house arrest or... <coughs> probation or something like that, that'll infuriate both sides. That's what it's intended to do. That's why the details of this stuff don't matter. We can see the bigger picture of what's happening here. We've watched as rage has risen in the country, says Jonathan Turley. I previously discussed how a scene like the recent confrontation on the Tennessee House floor perfectly captured our age of rage. Well, wait and see what happens next Monday as they have their special session. And by the way, um, you know, it's going back and forth. as. I said yesterday, over the weekend, you had a lot of different outlets say, well, you know, he's got to file these bills ahead of time, but there's nothing in there about his red flag laws. And I said, well, maybe he's just having the special session as a saving face. Yesterday, there were multiple outlets that said, uh, you just wait. He's going to introduce this at the last minute, or they're going to put it in as amendments to the bills that have already been put in, but it's probably going to come in, and you have to be careful about that. But the other thing you have to be careful about is another insurrection. Because we, as we pointed out, pretty much all the state legislatures are shut down at this time that he's calling a special session. And the left has put out a call to radical leftists to come to the Tennessee Capitol and harass the legislators. So expect to see a second one of these. I'd be surprised if it doesn't happen, quite frankly. Protesters in the previous one filled the Capitol building to protest for the failure to pass gun control legislation. You had three Democrat state representatives took the floor, would not yield, got a bullhorn, screamed at their colleagues, as he points out, and as I pointed out, that it was a much worse insurrection than what you had on January 6th, because there you had aggressive actions done by police and riot gear, 
the police in Tennessee handled it in a civil manner. Uh, they were not in riot gear. They used their bodies to shield the legislatures, legislators. They were pushed, shoved, and hit, both the state police as well as the legislators. But they did not respond in that. So they kept their cool. Uh, three members yelled, no action, no peace, on the floor as they were shouting at their colleagues, power to the people, and uh, refused to yield to business as usual. One of the things that you heard in that CBS report was he said, look, when you see the fact that you got one out of five people want to have a civil war over Trump, whether they're for him or against him, it doesn't really matter. Uh, both sides know that they're escalating this, and that's the next thing that Jonathan Turley says. So they're both playing a very dangerous game. You know, Trump is out there taunting the judge. Like, Go ahead, do something to me. Yeah, let's make yourself a big man. Show us what a big man you are, whatever. It's a woman, but, you know, that type of thing. And he was talking about dry kindling. How many times have I talked about dry kindling in fires? Why couldn't they put out the Canada fires? Forget about how it started. The, the question is, why couldn't they put the fire out? It's because they had laid that dry kindling there for a very long time. And it's going to be once the fire starts of civil war, it's going to be very hard to put it out. Everybody thinks, oh, it'll be a no problem. Our side's going to win very easily. Problem is that political figures, says Jonathan Turley, on both sides are attempting to harness this rage, and they are playing a very dangerous game. Trump's inflammatory tweets are an example. Likewise, the former Democrat National Committee Deputy Chair Keith Ellison, now the Minnesota Attorney General, once said Antifa would, quote, strike fear in the heart of Trump. This was after Antifa had been involved in numerous acts of violence. Its website was banned in Germany, where, by the way, you know, Antifa has been there since the 1930s. Yeah, Mark Hall did an excellent documentary, Killing Ed. Uh, I've interviewed him multiple times. A um, friend of mine from Austin as well. But uh, he sent me stuff. I said, Look, they didn't even bother to change their logo going back to the 1930s, Antifa. Uh, you know, he, he spent some time working in Germany. Um, anyway, Antifa was banned in Germany. His son, who is a Minneapolis City Council member, Jeremiah Ellison, declared his allegiance to Antifa as riots raged in the city. Unleashing such rage is difficult to control. Often those leading the mob find themselves later pursued by it. This is why during the French Revolution, the journalist Jacques Mallet-Pen warned, like Saturn, the um, revolution devours its children. Oh, yeah, Robespierre found out about that. He starts cutting off heads and eventually... Uh, the revolution turns on him and cuts his head off. And so this is what really is the issue here. How we're being goaded and used that both sides are pushing for this rage. You see it in the press as well. The press on both sides. Here's an example. You know, Revolver is one of the best examples of this. And Infowars and other sites like that. Breitbart is also heavily partisan in all of this. They're all partisan. They've all looked at this. My business model is going to be to serve this demographic and tell them what they want. And so they're feeding this to these people. They're stoking the fire. <clears throat> you know, um, just as an aside, uh, the guy who had the rich men north of Richmond, Oliver Anthony, 
as he did his concert, his first concert after that, I mean, just instant, um, instant fame, you know, puts it up in a couple of days. He's starts a new Twitter account in just a couple of days and a couple of tweets. He's at like 400,000 followers on Twitter. He puts up that video. He's got like 10 million views in just a couple of days. And he's got nine out of the 20, uh, spots on iTunes, including the number one position for all this stuff. And so he does a, a concert. He says, well, last time I was here, there's, you know, about a dozen people in the audience. And now there's 25 acres filled with cars of people parked to hear this. But he began by reading from the Bible. And so that's good. I hope that he does talk to people about what changed his life, turned him around from a life of despair and alcoholism. Uh, but, um, yeah, he talked, uh, Psalm 37. He didn't read the part at the very beginning. I always thought Psalm 37 was interesting because it mentions the word fret three times. And if you, uh, I like to go to blue letter Bible. Uh, they've got, you know, King James Bible there, and then they break it down into a, um, you know, you can click on a particular verse, old or new Testament. You can click on it and it'll show you Greek or Hebrew. Uh, what the different words and phrases were. Uh, you can click on a particular one and find out what it is. And so I thought, what is this? What is fret? That's odd that they use that so many times in Psalms, and they didn't use it anywhere else. And it's an interesting picture because it's a picture of somebody kindling firewood. You're kindling a fire. You're adding stuff to the fire. You're making it bigger and bigger and bigger. They've got everybody fret, fretting about January the 6th. And they're building this big bonfire. And the people in the media love it. You know, it's a lot of heat and light, and they love that. They love the audience and all this stuff. We're building a big fire, and it's going to get out of control. And so you got people like uh, Darren Beatty and people like Jack Posobiec, uh, and they just love all this stuff. Even, they even want a civil war within the GOP, right? Everything for Trump. Everything for Trump. Anybody that you know, says anything bad about, oh, they're on him, you know, and, and uh, feeding their audience, feeding the fire, throwing more kindling on the fire. Mike Pence takes his biggest, most public direct hit yet, they say. Well, I got to say, you know, I'm not a defender of Mike Pence, Mike Pensive. Mike Pence is not my concern, to quote him, when he was asked by Tucker Carlson, you know, you keep talking about the war, but do you realize what's happening here to Americans in this country? How their lifestyle is evaporating? That's not my concern, said Mike Pence. Well, Mike Pence is not my concern. And it ought to be about that. But instead, people like Darren Beatty, people like Jack Posobiec, make it about his loyalty or disloyalty to Trump. And they say, um, well, here's an example of Mike Pence saying that he had the power to make this decision. He admits it. I don't think he does. Listen to this clip that they put in there as Jack Posobiec put this out and see if you think that Mike Pence is making a statement of, uh, saying that he had the power to do it. In my opinion, they're misconstruing Pence's statement in the same way that this Georgia prosecutor is misconstruing what Trump had to say. It wasn't just that they asked for a pause. Uh, the president uh, specifically asked me and his gaggle of, uh, of crackpot lawyers asked me 
to literally reject votes, to, which would have resulted in uh, in the issue being turned over to the House of Representatives and literally chaos would have ensued. So, oh, Martha, I just uh, people people can read the indictment. And frankly, I, I, I've said before, I, I had hoped that it had not come to this point. You know, I, I don't know if the government can meet the standard, the burden of proof beyond reasonable doubt uh, for criminal charges. But the American people deserve to know uh, that President Trump uh, and his advisors uh, didn't just ask me to pause. They asked me to reject votes, return votes, essentially to overturn the election. Well, of course, if he would have gone in there, he didn't say that he had the power. He just said, if I would have stood up and done what Trump wanted me to do, uh, that I'm not accepting this stuff. Now what do we do, right? Um, <clears throat> it would have been, um, who knows, you know, what, what would have happened with that. Clearly, the way that the Electoral College is operating is not the way that it's defined in the Constitution anyway. Let me just say that up front. I've talked about that in the past. However, the votes from the Electoral College were cast uh, on that Monday, December the 14th. And I told everybody, that's it, it's over. You know, they didn't, they didn't make their case in court. They were barred from making their case in court. They could have made their case in four legislatures that were controlled by Republicans, but they chose not to do that. And so there was not an official slate of electors that was sent for him to choose between. And so if he would have uh, interjected at that point, it would have been chaos of a different kind, but they're saying, well, that means he, he admits he had the legal ability to do this. He could have done it. It wouldn't have been legal. He doesn't have that authority to make that decision. That decision doesn't come from the vice president. That decision comes from the states. The states send the electors. Uh, we have over the past had the executive branch and the uh, Bureau of Elections underneath the executive branch make that determination based on a popular vote. But um, we've had situations in the past where the state legislators would pick who the electors are going to be. End of story. It wasn't even based on the popular vote. And uh, so you could have made a constitutional argument for that. Nobody did that. But I mentioned this simply because, you know, Revolver is doing the same stuff that Trump, uh, that uh, Drudge and the mainstream media are doing about Trump's Georgia call. They're doing exactly the same thing. They're, they're grasping at straws, taking stuff out of context, spinning it. Why? To get even with their enemies. That's what this is all about. It's all about a Trump war. A civil war as a Trump war. By the way, the German government, when we look at the Democrat side of this, right? Well, we got to stop Trump from running. Whatever it takes, even if it takes violence. Even if it takes a bunch of nonsense indictments, we got to stop him from running. German government is getting desperate as well. The alternative for Deutschland, which is a conservative, anti-immigration, anti-big government, anti-socialist greens and all this kind of stuff, they are soaring in the polls. And so the German government says, well, we may have to ban them. We may have to ban this ascendant party in order to defend democracy. You catch the absurdity there, right? But that's essentially what our press and our Democrat government is doing. We're going to have to ban free speech. We're going to have to ban Trump from running because um, we got to save democracy. That's what they're saying. 
Ramaswamy, as I said before, you know, used to be something 30 years ago. Oh, you're a real radical if you want to get rid of these three-letter agencies. And now he is making that, he said, uh, a center point of his campaign, a top priority. My core platform is to get in there and shut down the administrative deep state, the three-letter agencies, the regulatory state. That is a threat to our constitutional republic coming from the FBI, the IRS, to the ATF, to the U.S. Department of Education, he said. Notice that he doesn't mention the CIA or the NSA. That could get him killed. <laughs> Shut down the CIA. Oh, well, next thing you know, the headlines. Uh, yeah, those three-letter agencies are actually the source of the unconstitutional federal regulations that act like a wet blanket on businesses. Again, it always comes back to making money for him. <laughs> the pharmaceutical executive. But look, I agree with him. We got to get, I, I've said it 30 years ago, got to get rid of these things. They become a, an empire to themselves. And they're at the basis of all of this stuff. Well, we're going to take a break. And I, I just want to say, I just saw this on Rockfin. Uh, Audi MRR, uh, Modern Retro Radio. Uh, thank you very much for the tip. He put $100. He says, uh, Modern Retro Radio will match additional tips up to another $100. Uh, don't let oligarchs divide us. Thank you so much, uh, Audi. And I saw that uh, uh, you were a guest on um, on uh, the, um, uh, what's it? Was it um, Jason or was it Angry Tiger? I forget. Or with it, Knights of the Storm. I forget. But I saw that he was or going was going to be a guest on it. I didn't see it. Uh, Karen saw it and told me, so I, that's why I don't remember which one it was on, but um, that's great. Of course, he had a uh, an independent music festival on Modern Retro Radio a few weeks ago. He was kind enough to put a couple of the songs on that we do. He put this one on. We'll be right back. Show. Let's uh, stay on elections for just a little bit more in general. And of course, you've got uh, people who are six months away from the uh, first uh, about five, or maybe five months, maybe six months, I don't know, from the first primaries. And Iowa, you've got a lot of Republican candidates going to the Iowa Fair. And, uh, and so there was a lot of press over the weekend about how Trump had trolled DeSantis at the Iowa Fair. And DeSantis is there and he's flipping burgers or something, you know, the typical man of the people type of stuff. Trump even showed up not wearing a tie. And, uh, you know, so this type of, yeah, I'm one of you guys type of stuff. And um, as uh, Epic Times points out, just as DeSantis and his family were wrapping up their day at the fair, meeting with Iowa Republican leaders and activists, Trump descended into the huge scrum of backers accompanied by a dozen Florida U.S. House members. In another instance that was put out on social media, a plane flew over the fair with a banner that read, 
Be likable, Ron. It's not clear who commissioned the plane. See, we don't have debates. We have trolls. We, have tro we troll each other. We call each other names. But we're not going to have it. Trump's not going to do a debate. He's not going to have a serious debate. Be likable? Seriously? Have they looked at their candidate? You, know, you got half of the country um, you know, ready to have a civil war with this guy. How likable is Donald Trump? He's one of the most divisive people I've ever seen in my life. Is a one-man civil Be likable, Ron? Seriously? Trump's holding a red carpet rally. You can buy tickets online. Uh, starting out, they're pretty expensive. They go up to 500 bucks. And uh, if you go to this uh, live in person and also virtually, you know, you can tune into this thing. It's called the Trump I Know film. And uh, it's a uh, quote-unquote documentary. It's a whole it's a, you know, campaign video, the Trump I Know. And they're going to have Laura Trump, General Flynn, Devin Nunes, and the flyover conservatives are going to be there. And as I said, you know, when we put together uh, this uh, documentary, The Trump I Know, they said, The Trump I Know doesn't take money from China. Oh, he doesn't? Hey, Trump I Know takes money from big pharmaceutical companies. You know, give me a million dollars, I'll give you back $10 billion. Billion. Pretty good return on your investment, right? 10,000 times the amount you give me. Took the money from big pharmaceutical companies after he used RFK Jr. to bid his price up. Yeah, you know, we might take a look at the safety of vaccines, which has been ignored for decades here. Oh, wait a minute. What, we, we just realized that we hadn't made a contribution to your campaign and the magnitude that we want to make. And then immediately, you know, uh, RFK Jr. is kicked to the curb, never hears from him again. But the CEO of Eli Lilly gets put in as HHS head. And then Scott Gottlieb, who was working for Pfizer, gets put in as the head of the FDA. And the rest of this is history, isn't it? Now, the Trump I know has a respectable family. Oh, really? Jared Kushner and his mafia white-collar criminals? Some of the biggest white-collar criminals in history. As a matter of fact, the biggest. And then uh, several others that were nearly as big as him. They all bought their pardons through Jared at the end of the, uh, the Trump uh, regime. A respectable family. Even got a, a uh, pardon for his convict father who uh, was pardoned by Trump. Uh, the Trump I know made America energy independent. Well, I'll give him that one. He got the government out of the way. Trump didn't make us energy independent. No president makes, makes you energy independent. No president uh, creates jobs. They get out of the way. Give them credit for getting out of the way and letting other people make us energy independent, letting other people create jobs and build things and extract things and create things. Uh, the government is just, as Ramaswamy said, a wet blanket. So take the wet blanket off. Uh, so, but I'll give him credit for that. His energy policy uh, and the people that he had was, as far as I'm concerned, the only bright spot in the Trump administration. The Trump I know supports women's sports. Does he? Does he? He pushed for the LGBT stuff. He was pushing to put men in women's sports and bathrooms during the 2016 campaign. He criticized uh, the uh, 
North Carolina law that would keep men out of women's locker rooms and showers. Trump didn't like that. It said prior to that that he wanted to have men in women's beauty contests that he ran and uh, wanted to see men in sports. No, that's not true. The Trump I know is pro-life. You know, I think pro-life is too harsh a term to use for President Trump. He thinks that protecting life from conception is much too harsh. Even protecting life at six weeks is much too harsh. So I think it's too harsh to call him pro-life. The Trump I know would secure our borders, would he? Would he secure the borders? Why didn't he then? Why didn't he? He left them wide open. And of course, we had a big surge. We had caravans and all the rest of the stuff when people uh, realized, the traffickers realized, the illegal immigrants realized that he was a paper tiger on that issue. It dropped down as soon as he was elected. They realized, no, he's not going to do anything. So join us, watch the film, support the president, believe, believe in the Trump we know. You know what? It's the Trump they project. We know what Trump did. You know, so there was nothing in there about 2020 and what he did to us all that last year. Yeah, the Trump I know locked us down. The Trump I know still brags about the poison that he created and sent around the world. The Trump I know lied to us about the pandemic. He destroyed the Constitution. He destroyed countless lives. People he killed with his hospital death protocols. People he killed with uh, who committed suicide because their business was taken. I mean, you look at the uh, uh, the 98-year-old, uh, and we got an update to that. The 98-year-old co-owner of that paper has been around for over a century. Her son is the other co-owner. Her son is 69. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, there's something else going on with that. But when you take somebody's life's work like that from them, uh, it has consequences for a lot of people. He didn't just kill people with his vaccine and his hospital death protocol and his uh, wads of cash that he was throwing out hospitals to get him to do that and drug companies to get him to do that. No, he killed people by destroying their lives as well. So uh, <clears throat> it is kind of interesting. I noticed um, uh, winepress.com back in November <laughs> where this, I'd missed this. Donald Trump announced that he would run for president again exactly 666 days <laughs> after he left office. Six, six, six. We also point out that uh, article, just in case you're interested in stuff like this. MAGA is the highest rank in the Church of Satan. They have five different degrees. And uh, if you are, you know, it's like a 33rd degree Mason. Well, if you're in the Church of Satan, you get to the fifth level. You get the title of MAGA. Can't make this stuff up. <laughs> I don't have to. I mean, it's just there. You can do with that whatever you want. Uh, so, as you look at this, DeSantis is criticizing Trump for refusing to sign the RNC pledge to support whoever the eventual nominee is, if you are not the nominee. And they want everybody to sign that, and that is a condition of being in the debates. And so, you have uh, various conditions of being in the debates. You have to have a, you know, for the first debate, you have to have a certain level of polling uh, in one state and a certain level of polling at a national level, and then it goes up with the subsequent debates as they start to winnow the field down. Uh, you also have to have a certain number of people who have contributed to your campaign. Um, for the first debate, it's 40,000. For the second debate, you have to have 50,000 supporters. 
And so I talked about this in the past. I had somebody send me a thing saying, well, you know, I think that this may be as a scam. Uh, I saw this where they were saying, give me a dollar and I'll send you $20 back. Well, we've had multiple candidates have done that. The new uh, North Dakota governor, Doug Burgum, I think is his name, uh, did that. Suarez did that. The mayor of Miami, as a matter of fact, here's, here's the picture of this. Uh, claim your $20 Bidenomics relief card right now. That's basically what Bergam did, and Suarez copied it. And um, I think this is Suarez, um, or this might be the Bergam thing. But they both have done this. Oh, yeah, it is Suarez. Uh, conservative Miami Mayor Francis Suarez's presidential campaign is offering a $20 gift card to every American who donates a dollar to his campaign. This sounds like it's too good to be true, doesn't it? So a lot of people said, I think this is a scam. Well, no. What's a scam is a presidential election in general. <laughs> There's so much money that is flowing out there. So much money. These people look at it and say, you know, I could pay a million dollars to run some spots on national news or something like that. Or I could spend a million dollars by giving $20 to everybody that sends me a token amount of $1. Yeah, and it's, that's even less than a million dollars, right? It's sending out $19 to everybody. But, you know, let's just keep it at $20. And, um, you know, you uh, people send you $50,000 worth of donations, $1 at a time, and you send them out a million dollars. See how government works? <laughs> See, this is how they let the little guy in on it. You know, if you're big pharmaceutical companies, you can give Trump a million dollars, and he'll give you back tens of billions of dollars. Same principle, except on a much, 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 much smaller scale. <laughs> this is democracy at work. This is the American uh, elections. In a nutshell, you give me a little bit of money and I'm going to give you back a lot of money from my donors. Except, you know, when you do it as an elected official, you're giving them back the taxpayer money or loans uh, from the Federal Reserve, which are really coming from the Saudis and the Chinese and <laughs> the rest of these people that we got to pay off later on. But that's, uh, that's what they're doing to get on there. Now, the other thing that you have to do to get into the debates is you got to sign that RNC pledge to support whoever the nominee is if it's not you. Now, <clears throat> DeSantis criticizes Trump for do not doing this. But actually, uh, that was one thing about Trump in the first election in 2015 that I thought was very authentic about him. Um, I kind of live-streamed uh, the debate at the time, and... Um, and we had so many people interact with it that Alex decided that we would cover the debates live after that. Uh, but uh, so I got a lot of engagement on Twitter at the time. I wasn't banned. That was 2015. And that was like the first debate. And remember the very first question from Brett Baer to all the candidates was the same thing. Would you uh, pledge now to support the other candidate? If you're not the nominee, and there was, at that point in time, there was a dozen or 15 or some different candidates there. And Trump said no. He was the only one who said no. And I thought that was pretty honest and authentic. I was like, yeah, good, good for doing that. You're not going to pander to somebody else. And Rand Paul was furious with him. And I thought Rand Paul came across as a party hack. And I said so. And, uh, um, you know, the first time you saw that happen. And, uh, and, and I, I liked uh, Rand Paul's policies and what he had done in the past much better than anything that Donald Trump had said. I thought he was a much more rational uh, person who was focused on liberty, but I thought that was a real black mark against him to have that kind of partisanship. That's what DeSantis is saying now. 
And uh, he says, you can't on the one hand say the country's going in such a bad direction, which we all believe, and then on the other hand, say you're just going to take your ball and go home. Well, um, I think here's what I think is going on. Uh, Trump can say this, and it doesn't, um, you know, it, it, it's consistent with what he's always done in the past. And since he was very adamant about that in the pre, when he won in 2016, I suspect that since he has, you know, been a partner with the RNC on this January the 6th stuff, the Save America pack that he set up, where he made $250 million, and the RNC made a huge amount as well because he split the first $8,000 that anybody gave, uh, went to him and to the RNC. They split the money. Not 50-50, by the way. And, but they still made a lot of money. Uh, anything that you gave over 8,000, they would use for legal fees to investigate the election. So they didn't do too much with that, actually, you know, mainly just a personal grift. And, um, so, but anyway, that, that was, I'm sure that he's got a lot of pull with the RNC. Don't you think? Don't you think he does? <laughs> do you think maybe, uh, this is the first time we've had a requirement that you sign a pledge to support the other candidates as a condition of being in the debate. And so I suspect that they put that in there to give Trump a way to legitimately say, I'm not going to be in this debate because of this condition or where that condition come from. Was it your friends? So we see, as I said before, we're not going to have debates. We're going to have trolling. And you had in, um, in Iowa, as uh, DeSantis was trying to talk to a group of veterans, you had some trolls show up chanting pudding fingers. Where'd they get that from? Oh, well, they got that from one of Trump's commercials. Pudding fingers. Oh, he eats. He was seen one time, you know, eating pudding with his finger, dipping it out of the container or something. Oh, well, now he's pudding fingers. And uh, this is a group that uh, was not MAGA. This is a group that supports abortion rights, but they took Trump's nickname. I guess the abortion rights people didn't want to call him sanctimonious because he's trying to save kids' lives. That's what they should have done because that's why Trump called him sanctimonious. He's too harsh. He's trying to save kids' lives. He's too sanctimonious. He doesn't want the dragons out there, you know, messing with kids, performing lewdly in front of them, uh, he doesn't want the teachers out there grooming the kids, showing them pornography, teaching them every kind of sexual perversion that you and I have never even heard of. That's sanctimonious. Uh, so DeSantis said people like that are what's holding this country back. Well, people who are turning this and don't want to debate issues but want to troll other people with nicknames, that's what's holding this country back. Um, so... Um, uh, rapping Ramaswamy, as I pointed out, <laughs> he, uh, he was rapping uh, his favorite Eminem songs, and uh, <laughs> uh, he he might want to uh, take a look at which one he says is his favorite. One of them, um, uh, "Lose Me" or something. Yeah, "Lose Yourself," "Lose Yourself." Uh, that maybe isn't the one that you want to have as your campaign. <laughs> "Lose Yourself," yeah. Uh, but he has, let's just say, he has put forward some serious policies. He really has. Uh, I agree with some of them. Some of them I don't agree with. And as I said, you know, he was when he talked to Musk, 
oh, we need to bring back the Trans-Pacific Partnership. We need to have more H-1B visas and stuff. I very much disagree with those ideas. I agree with his ideas of uh, shutting down these different agencies. And he went a little bit further to his credit. He said, uh, and here's how you do it, right? It was Bill Clinton who put in an executive order saying you can't fire these people under the executive branch. All of the swamp, by the way, is under the executive branch. All of it. State Department, all of it. The FBI, all of these people are under the executive branch, and so you can fire them. Now, why do they get this idea that you can't fire them? It came from an executive order from Bill Clinton back in the 1990s. Well, that's just an executive order from a previous president. Every president can do executive orders. An executive order can cancel all the other executive orders. And he shouldn't stop there. As I've said many times, if I was elected president of the world, you know, I would go in. The very first executive order I would have is to say all the executive orders are canceled. We're going to start out from a clean slate. Oh, that would be grounds for assassination, wouldn't it? which is why they don't do it. Now, Caitlin Johnstone, who is uh, in Australia, uh, looks at it from the perspective of somebody who's outside the United States looking at the U.S. empire. We look at the U.S. empire and we think FBI, Department of Justice, IRS, you know, CIA, that type of thing. But of course, you know, they see the CIA, they see the Pentagon, they see the empire from the outside. She said, we talk about U.S. presence all the time. Obama did this, Trump did that, blah, blah, blah. But it really, it's never the president who's doing those things. It's the empire. The president is just the face of the operation. The name they put on the door that they change every few years to create the illusion that the U.S. government is responsive to the will of the electorate. So it's not really true to say that Obama did this or Trump did that. Really, they're just the face that happened to be on the operation when it was time to kill Gaddafi or to begin to pivot to Asia or to sanction Venezuela or to start arming Ukraine or whatever. Good example of this, you know, is the fact that um, uh, Trump, you know, puts in Bill Barr, Bill Barr, a guy who was so attached to the Bush family who was so attached to George H.W. Bush and who was his right-hand man in rebuilding the CIA, made him the youngest um, attorney general when he became president. Trump, who complains about the lies about weapons of mass destruction starting the Iraq war, and yet he promotes the CIA person, Gina Haspel, who produced those lies, who brought those lies in, who covered up the torture. He promotes her to the head of the CIA. Yeah, they're the government, you understand. They're not on the ballot. CIA is not on the ballot. I wish they were. <laughs> I know actually I'd vote. Um, Americans don't get to vote on any of that stuff, she said. They don't get to vote on what will be done to facilitate the needs of a global-spanning empire, or even if there should be a globe-spanning empire at all. The behavior of the empire is never on the ballot. They'll talk about things like abortion and gun control. And look, these are important issues, but they always want to make them things that are going to be 50-50, that are going to keep us fighting about that. That's one of the reasons why, after we went on abortion, you got people like Tim Scott and people like Donald Trump and people like Lindsey Graham who say, we got to bring this back and we got to make a law over this. So let's refederalize this so we can get this back into the elections. I've got to have that abortion issue. I've had that abortion issue for 50 years. It's been a winning thing for us here in the Republican Party. Let's get that abortion issue back. Let's politicize that again. 
at the federal level. It's going to be politicized enough at the local level. But let's make it a federal issue because, you know, I want to run for president on that or I want to run for Senate on that. So they always bring these things in. It's to keep both sides tugging on the rope with all their might so they don't look up and notice that the real large-scale behavior of their government is completely unaffected by the small back-and-forth gains or the losses of the tug-of-war game. And that's not to say that Second Amendment and abortion are not important issues. It's just to say that they want to keep them forever. They don't want to end it, you see. That's why the Republicans always do half measures. That's why the Republicans always try to bring these issues back in as a federal issue. Really, the only reason to talk about the U.S. presence in terms of Obama did this and Trump did that is to highlight this point, to highlight the fact that Obama continued and expanded all the most malignant policies of his predecessor. Yeah, he took all these wars. He you know, gave us seven wars, added a lot of wars during his, you know, and then Trump kept all those. He kept all of them. Uh, Trump continued and expanded all the most malignant policies of Obama's. So um, the longer Americans are convinced that they can vote their way out of the problems that they never voted their way into in the first place, the longer they can be dissuaded from using the power of their numbers to force real material changes by real material means. And as I said before, after 2020, medical martial law, a lockdown election, all the rest of this stuff, you're non-essential. Who am I voting for? I didn't vote for any of this stuff. I'm being ruled by people that are never stand for election, that are never held accountable. These public health bureaucrats, what is this all about? Like I said, the only thing that was uh, uh, worth voting for at the end of 2020 was a local sheriff if they were worth voting for. And uh, there wasn't one in my area worth voting for, so I didn't vote. Greenwall, same idea. He says it's not left and right anymore. It's anti-establishment versus pro-establishment. And who is the establishment? Establishment is the CIA, the NSA, those people. He said, no matter how you slice it, the polls show that there's only one person who's likely to challenge Biden and defeat him for the re-election. And that's the person whom Biden's Department of Justice happens to be prosecuting in multiple cases. He said, it's not just cases that have been brought, but ones that rely on highly dubious interpretations of the law. It's not like these are murder cases, rape cases, bribery cases, or things that people traditionally think about when they hear about criminal accusations. They're very distant and vague accusations that depend a lot on free speech rights, and they will only worsen the perceptions that the Department of Justice cannot be trusted. Because we've got to catch up. You know, we only have 7% of the people who want violence in order to put Trump in office. So let's, you know, do this Department of Justice thing so we can get that number up. So what Glenn Greenwald does not see is that this is not simply about Trump. He's a tool in all of this. You know, these people want to have a civil war, and he's a very useful tool in this. I think uh, Caitlin Johnstone's perspective is uh, far uh, more comprehensive and a better context for what is really happening. He said, uh, though, as he talks about this, he said, the first book I wrote in 2005 was an argument that the Bush and Cheney administration had committed obvious war crimes like torture, rendition, and warrantless spying on Americans. The entire D.C. class agreed with Obama, however, saying that only banana republics prosecute their political opposition. And that was for real crimes like torture, kidnapping, killing people, and spying without warrants. <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, he's saying, so when they did all this stuff, they started wars, they did torture, they lied to people about it, rendition, all the rest of the stuff. Uh, well, no, we don't want to send them to prison for that. Why? Because, you know, they, that's what the real government does, the CIA and the rest of these people. That's what they do. And in the same sense, when I say the real crimes of the Trump administration, for the things that were done to us in 2020 in the name of the pandemic, they don't want to do anything about that because they did the same stuff as well on the Democrat side. Because it wasn't being done to us by Trump per se or by Biden per se. This was the uh, people that they both serve. You see, that's why I say Trump is not the opposition to the deep state. He is a puppet of the deep state, just as Biden is a puppet of the deep state. And the deep state isn't going to prosecute their crimes against humanity, just as the deep state was not going to prosecute Bush and Cheney's war crimes. At exactly the same time the Biden administration is prosecuting Donald Trump, they're also shielding Hunter Biden now, guilty of far more blatant and obvious criminality. Hunter Biden gets this incredibly generous deal that was so shocking to the judge because she couldn't believe the DOJ was really offering him full-scale immunity. And given how he was allowed to plead guilty to misdemeanors, for what she had seen, treated as serious felonies. So he's right about it. The real metric now isn't left versus right. It's anti-establishment versus pro-establishment. It's really anti-Trump versus pro-Trump. And that's really where I, I disagree with him on that. You know, pro-Trump, Trump was the establishment. Trump did everything the establishment wanted. Trump did everything that the federal establishment wanted, and he did everything that the global establishment wanted. Why is it that Trump and Biden were marching in lockstep, doing the same things that Trudeau and Macron and the leaders of every country were doing at exactly the same time? Why were they all doing exactly the same thing at the same time? Because in every country, they've taken over the government. And that's the real metric that's there. Well, before we go to break, again, <clears throat> thank you very much for, uh, to uh, Audi at Modern Retro Radio uh, for the tip and for the matching uh, $100. Thank you very much. Rockfin on M uh, MJ Nichols, thank you very much for the tip. Jason Barker, thank you. And he says thanks for the tip matching, Audi. And uh, also on Rockfin, Greg Talent, thank you very much. I keep seeing the same names there over and over again. Thank you, all of you, for being such loyal supporters. I really do. Appreciate it. My family appreciates it as well. We will be right back.
Making sense common again. You're listening to The David Knight Show. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about lockdown before we leave politics and talk about some other issues here. Senator Ron Johnson went on record saying the pandemic was pre-planned, quote, pre-planned by an elite group of people, the same people who conducted Event 201. Well, he's right about that. But it's much bigger than that. Of course, as I said, Event 201 was simply the the final one of these annual germ games that had been done on at least an annual basis. Sometimes it was more than one a year. Going back to Dark Winter that was done two months before 9-11. False flag one week after 9-11 with the anthrax attacks. Yes, people really died. Uh, and then... Two months later, they put out the Model State Health Emergency Powers Act, which was used, uh, you know, here's model legislation. They sent out to all the states, and states started giving powers to these unelected uh, public health bureaucracies. And then they practiced locking everybody down every year, uh, lock everybody down until we get an emergency vaccine approved. In 2005, you had the Bush administration uh, still heavily involved in this 9-11-type takeover of the United States out the PrEP Act, which extended more legal protections to the pharmaceutical industries that were going to be their henchmen and poisoning the public with these vaccines. The whole thing was planned for a very long time. So Senator Ron Johnson on Friday told Fox Business's um, Maria Bartiromo that uh, this was all pre-planned by an elite group of people who conducted Event 201. Uh, John, John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins, um, they have John Hopkins in here, it's Johns Hopkins. Um, Bill Melinda Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum, all the usual suspects. He doesn't mention the CIA, interestingly enough. CIA just doesn't get the press that they deserve. I'll do everything I can to help that. Uh, the Geospatial Intelligence Agency and the rest of them, they just don't get the attention that they deserve, frankly. Uh, so, um, yeah, dark winter. Dark winter. You want to talk about 9-11 being an inside job? Dark winter was as well. The other shoe to drop. Tied in with that altogether. And yet, you now see the alternative media that talked about 9-11. You know, oh, well. Uh, you know, it's the Wuhan lab, the Wuhan lab. And yet, they don't want to stop gain of function. It's Fauci in the Wuhan lab, and it's China. We need to go to war with China, that type of thing. That's how they're using it. Always will add some false details to stuff in order to turn the narrative. Or even if it's a real uh, detail that's not uh, significant, they'll use that to turn the narrative. So Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson said, we're going down a very dangerous path, but it's a path that's being laid out and planned by an elite group of people that want to take total control over our lives, and that's what they're doing bit by bit. Now, he's with the Senate Homeland Security Committee. Uh, he's a ranking member on the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. He says this needs to be exposed, but unfortunately, very few people, even in Congress, are willing to take a look at it. It's because of the involvement of the CIA and the deep state. Uh, they were heavily involved in all of this. You know, it's um, Congress is not willing to take a look at this. You know, going back to Oliver Anthony, they think we don't know, but we do. We do know what they did. Uh, so again, because we do know what they did, 
They're going to try to redirect us to Wuhan. They're going to try to redirect us to the January 6th. They're going to try to redirect us to grievances about an election that was run according to the new rules that Trump put in. And so, uh, again, hindsight is twenty twenty, but we can't see what happened because they got blinders on us and they're distracting us with shiny objects. Stay focused on what really happened. So, um, uh, Anomaly, as I said before, he's, um, he featured RFK Jr., right, you know, talking about uh, how he had retweeted when we were two weeks into this, or just a little bit over two weeks, you know, Fauci had said two weeks, lockdown, we're going to flatten the cave. And so after two weeks, you had, I think it was Forbes who put out an article saying, you know, this, this lockdown has really been good for the climate. And maybe we don't want to pull back and open everything up right away. Maybe we want to keep it locked down, not for the pandemic, but for the climate. Foolishly believing that uh, the two weeks meant two weeks. We knew because of the pandemic games that had gone on for the previous 20 years that the lockdown was going to last until the vaccine. And the vaccine was going to be your ticket out of lockdown. You're going to stay locked down unless you took it. All of that stuff was already known. But, you know, they jump on this and say, well, you know, this may be ending, but it's a good thing for the environment and we need to keep that. And RFK Jr. thought the same thing. And I've talked about this before, just how dangerous that idea is. And how dangerous RFK Jr. can be on the environment because that's the other big MacGuffin. Big MacGuffin. Oh, they've been preparing that MacGuffin and preparing people to accept that big MacGuffin for 50 years. There was a documentary that was done uh, by Grace Community Church. That's um, uh, John MacArthur's church in L.A. Big church, like 7,000 people or something. And it was at the center of uh, this, this move. There have been a lot of churches from the very beginning that refused to go along with this stuff and uh, give them credit. And I interviewed several of those pastors. Uh, but, um, you know, there was a lot of churches who said, well, this might be real. You know, we have to exercise caution. Some of them believed that they needed to do whatever the government said regardless of what was happening. You know, Romans 13, I got to do whatever the government says. Even if it's a bad government, I do what they say. Even if they're evil, I, I do what they say. You know, tell me to shoot my fellow friend in the head, I do that. And, you know, I was just following orders type of attitude. I never believed that. But um, uh, as I've said before, by the time we got to July and in L.A. and in California, they said, okay, uh, we've got restrictions on how many people can show up. You've got to keep separate. You've got to wear masks. you got to all do it. But... Um, now you can't sing either. And we had NPR saying the most dangerous thing that you could do would be to go to church because people are singing there. <laughs> you got to stay isolated and depressed. And so at that point in time, you know, Grace Community Church had already said, you know, this isn't a pandemic. Uh, we're still going to follow orders. But at that point in time, they said, no, we're not going to do it. So they started hitting them with big fines. They escrowed that. They eventually won. And um, I played you the clip last week where John MacArthur said, okay, you want to try to press this? Let's go to court. We'll get document discovery of everything that you know. They said, okay, never mind. Okay, here you go. Well, whatever you want, you know, anything but that. And so now they put out uh, a two-hour film. Good for them. Um, look, we all make mistakes, and I think they made mistakes at the very beginning of this, and a lot of churches did. The key thing is that after they realized they made the mistake, they changed. As Christians, we make mistakes all the time. 
We make mistakes in judgment. Uh, we even act in outright rebellion, but when we turn, there is forgiveness for that. And we tell other people about that. And that's what they're doing now. Two-hour film argues that the pandemic church shutdowns reflect an historical pattern of religious persecution. That's what James Coates said in Canada as they were about to arrest him. He said, I wish I'd studied more history, especially church history. I would have been better prepared for this because this is a repeat of history. Uh, history rhymes. It doesn't exactly repeat. Sometimes we forget how much uncertainty accompanied the early days of the COVID pandemic. Government officials and healthcare providers offered contradictory explanations for how the virus was going to spread and why it sometimes proved fatal and how we should protect ourselves. In the beginning, the one thing that everybody seemed to agree on was that we should all stay home. Uh, Stay-at-home orders were particularly challenging for churches. Some Christians have come away from the pandemic hysteria with an all's well that ends well outlook, a willingness to pardon the authorities for overstepping. And as I've said before, we must not do that. And I'm glad to see that uh, MacArthur Church, Grace Community Church, is not taking that attitude. You know, we have to look at what was done and not just say, well, okay, fine, they've stopped doing it for now. Let's just go back to our lives. And we have to say, no, this is what they did. We've got to stop this. Never again will we comply. That's the appropriate response now at this point in time. And they have the exact appropriate response. The documentary film, The Essential Church, uh, communicates a different message. The two-hour film suggests that recent church shutdowns reflect a historical pattern that Christians should not just dismiss with a shrug. Narrated by Ian Hamilton, the film begins with a story about another instance of the state's attempts to control religion. In the 1600s, the Scottish Covenanters opposed the Book of Common Prayer, believing that King Charles I introduced the book to control worship. Stories of famous martyrs are woven into the film, reminding viewers that we're told to stand firm in the faith. Fast forward to 2020, and drone footage shows empty L.A. highways and pans to Grace Community Church, where Pastor John MacArthur has preached for 54 years. Farther north, Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church in Canada, Alberta, Pastor Tim Stevens, also in Alberta, of Fairview Baptist, wait for Canada's lockdowns to lift. But bans on religious gatherings extended beyond what was reasonable, and in July 2020, Grace Community Church announced that it would hold in-person services despite Gavin Newsom's mandated restrictions. And this is how you end it. You show the lies by living your life. You're all going to die if you go in there. Now watch me. Right? That, that was the biggest rebuke to the lies, to just live the truth. You see, you don't have to debate them. You just continue to do what you're going to do anyway. Uh, so Governor Nuisance uh, was imposing undue restrictions on houses of worship and many other nuisance ideas that he had. The case quickly wound its way up to the Supreme Court where the church prevailed. But again, what do we do if we don't prevail? Well, you continue to do what's right. It's just that simple. You leave the consequences to God. But you do what's right. You know what's right, you do it. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. We have a supreme God. That's the key issue. And when there is a conflict between the supreme God and the supreme court, I know who wins out. 
As late as February 2022, British Columbia's provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, still limited church attendance to 50%, while allowing nightclubs and restaurants to return to full capacity, you see. It really was discriminatory against churches. They don't even talk in this article. I don't know if the film covers it. I haven't seen it. But, you know, you could, uh, and some people made protests about that. You could go to the casinos, but you couldn't have a church service. And so they went to a casino and held a church service. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, there's even an interview with President Trump's 2020 coronavirus advisor. Really? Really? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I hope they understand what Trump did. Uh, not all viewers will agree with MacArthur's determination. Andy Stanley publicly opposed him at the time. Andy Stanley, has got the mega church. It was Charles Stanley's son, or is, should say. Uh, but, um, he, uh, continued to hold things, uh, locked down, said, uh, virtue signal saying he was loving his neighbor. It was unloving to open up churches and that type of thing. Uh, now it's unloving to not accept LGBT kids at his church. He also believed not only that church services were not necessary. He also believed the old Testament is unnecessary. You know, what's unnecessary? Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is unnecessary. Uh, the filmmakers disagreed with Andy Stanley, assured people that church attendance is nice, but not necessary. They agree. They said the real offense is to remove the spiritual help and testimony that the church gathered together represents. Uh, the documentary isn't preachy. It doesn't dive down conspiracy rabbit holes. Well, that's too bad because you know what Trump did is not buried in a rabbit hole. It's there for everybody to see. It's staring us right in the face. They did it in the open. It's not a theory. It was a conspiracy that everybody everywhere all over the world was doing exactly the same thing at the same time. It wasn't just Trump. It was Trudeau in Canada. They were doing this. Where did they get this idea? Well, let's not talk about a conspiracy. Instead, we're going to have a cult of personality. You know, Obama was a cult as well. And it worried me when I saw people focusing around Obama. What did they focus around Obama for, though? That was a cult of race. You had all these people who, um, you know, was really kind of getting scary, the, you know, uh, with uh, their adoration of Obama, but it was really about his race. With Trump, it's about him personally. You know, he's a, rally, a, a reality TV uh, scammer, and, and they just love his personality. That's a very dangerous thing. Uh, a survivor of the CDC COVID protocols said she was, quote, just a paycheck. That's right. They did it for money. Who was signing that check? Trump, essentially. Uh, Gail Seiler describes an interview with the Defender, which is from Children's Health Defense Fund. Uh, she describes how she was treated at a Texas hospital after the ask, and she told them that she wasn't vaccinated. In late 2021, uh, <clears throat> it was December the 3rd, 2021, two days after testing positive for COVID-19, and low oxygen levels led her to go to her local hospital in Plano, Texas. This would mark the beginning of a 13-day ordeal of being subjected to what she described as cruel and inhuman treatment. She was denied nutrition and medications, and she was listed as do not resuscitate, despite repeated insistence to the contrary by both her and her family. No, I do want to be resuscitated if something happens. No, we're going to put this uh, 
And, and this is a standard thing. This is not an isolated incident. This is somebody's particular story, but this happened all over the place. This is the hospital death protocol, and Trump was signing the paychecks. She's now 55. She survived. She said the hostile treatment at the hospital began when doctors there learned that she had not received Trump's vaccine. It culminated when her family, following a standoff in her hospital room, succeeded in removing her from the hospital and taking her home. She said that saved her life. And uh, again, you know, I haven't covered it yet. But Ammon Bundy and his people's rights groups, they did that kind, you know, pushing back against medical kidnapping many times. And now he's got a $52 million judgment against him. He made a big mistake by not contesting that lawsuit, I got to say. If somebody contests you with a lawsuit, you got to respond to it. Um, you know, e even self-defense, even a bad lawyer is better than no response at all because the other side immediately wins. Uh, but uh, it appears to be a case of medical kidnapping of a child. And, um, you know, they're just pulling back and saying, well, that's unjustified. I'm not even going to respond to it. What do you think would happen if with all these unjustified indictments of Trump, if he just didn't respond to them? <laughs> um, despite her doctor's insistence that she would die if she left the hospital, Siler says that she has fully recovered. Said the same thing about our dog, Scout, as the vet was doing everything in his power to kill him and to run up exorbitant fees against us. Unbelievable. You know, it's just, anyway, yeah. He's going to die if you, uh, <laughs> no, he's going to die if I leave him here with you. You're going to kill him. You've been doing your best to kill him. Um, <clears throat> she credits medications such as ivermectin in helping her. And she has now gotten involved with a nonprofit group that I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, former Feds Group Freedom Foundation. They, they put up billboards in uh, New Jersey. She's in Texas, but they're putting up billboards in New Jersey and other places. That's also the group, by the way that um, you know, have a, a, a wristband that you can buy. If you have to go in the hospital, you can get this wristband and say, I've got a medical condition. I can't be vaccinated with this mRNA vaccine or something. That could save your life. And uh, that is definitely well worth the price. So um, she said um, she wanted to use the hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, uh, uh, butasonide, I don't know what that is, along with vitamins, the protocol. They would not allow her to do that. She spent 26 hours in the ER before being admitted into the ICU uh, on December the 5th, 2021, where she was examined. First question the doctor asked me was if I was vaccinated. Um, she said, uh, she told him, and he said, well, I'm so sorry, Ms. Seiler, but you are going to die. <laughs> I'll make sure I kill you. And that her only options were to receive remdesivir and be placed on a ventilator. Although even with that treatment, he said she was going to die anyway. Uh, she said what followed instead uh, was a cruel and inhuman treatment. She said the doctors and the nurses claimed that they were unfamiliar with the frontline doctor's protocol of ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, vitamins, uh, you know, zinc, and that type of thing. And uh, they would continue to demonize uh, ivermectin to her, she said. Instead, she was placed on a BiPAP machine, which she says blows hot air, forced air, into your lungs. She described it as excruciating and unnecessary. And of course, you know, most of the people who died in the hospitals died from infections that they got from these types of machines. Uh, 
Anyway, um, she was also denied nutrition, water, personal care. Uh, they gave her the full Terry Chavo treatment. No water, no food, right? We want this person to die. Even though I was more than capable of drinking, I was denied water for seven days, received no nutrients for the first 11 days. She finally got a banana bag as per my daughter's persistence. She said her husband was able to bring her insurer, but that it was placed, quote, out of my reach in the hospital room. After receiving no mouth care for 13 days, I was developing thrush, she said, and I, it was starting to get worse. Having developed a film covering her teeth that required medication to clear up. Siler said she was forced to have a catheter on her first day in the ICU, which was subsequently never cleaned, leading to an infection. Uh, doctors also started loading me up with diuretics so that I couldn't control my bladder or my bowels. And uh, she said um, she was administered insulin despite not being diabetic and that she wasn't told if there was a medical reason for this. When administering the insulin, the nurse, quote, would plunge the needle into my stomach, she said. I had so many bruises in my stomach, it was horrific. My husband was livid when he saw it. She was very aggressively harmful. I call it medical battery. Well, uh, things continued along this line, and uh, eventually her family was able to uh, get her out in a standoff. But this is the, the death protocol that was put out there by Trump and by his COVID advisors. You remember uh, how, um, how arrogant they were about demanding that the automobile manufacturers change all their manufacturing and move it over to making uh, these ventilators and coming after GM because they didn't do it quickly enough. Citing CDC statistics, she said 1.6 million people are listed as having died of COVID, influenza, or pneumonia, out of which only 167,000 died at home. The COVID death was due to the death protocol, like what she experienced. The rest of them died in facilities, hospitals, nursing homes, that type of thing. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Deceit. Telling the truth is a revolutionary act. You're listening to The David Knight Show. Al Watson 9000 says, uh, Strip clubs and Planned Parenthood remained open, yet churches were closed and singing was banned. That's exactly right. That's exactly what happened. Um, Audi MRR, Modern Retro Radio. Thank you very much uh, for the tip. He says, sending the uh, bonus $100 right now. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Crazy morning working, and I don't want to forget, uh, he said. And again, uh, Audi Modern Retro Radio, he says, P.S., all Elvis tomorrow on the station. Well, that's cool. That's cool. I like the stuff that he's doing there. Um, I just don't play Ramaswamy rapping. <laughs> you drive people away if you do that. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Hawaii. And I know a lot of people 
or, you know, had somebody put up a comment, well, why don't you talk about Hawaii? This is another Pearl Harbor and we're all under attack. Well, and it is a major issue. Now the deadliest fire in the United States in a hundred years, and they've only looked at 3% of the area with cadaver dogs. There's a lot of people who are missing and they're, um, you know, got relatives who are donating, um, you know, giving them DNA samples so they can try to find uh, their relatives among the dead. Um, you know, it's, it's about a hundred people now, but it's going to go much higher. Um, everybody is saying, but then there's other aspects of this and people are saying, wait a minute, you know, the houses of Oprah didn't burn the houses of, uh, Oprah, Bezos, Bill Gates, Lady Gaga, Morgan Friedman, Julia Roberts, all these millionaires and billionaires have got homes there on Maui and, uh, they did not uh, burn. Um, just real quickly rumble. YJ72, thank you for the tip. He said, we could have sung sitting down at church because sitting down at a restaurant was confirmed safe. Right. <laughs> when we sat down, you can take your mask off, right? That's the thing I had about it. Walked in a restaurant one time and I said, so uh, you're going to tell me that I've got to take, I got to wear a mask in order to be seated. Everybody here, five feet away from me. Not, nobody's wearing a mask. You tell me I have to wear a mask in order to walk that far. Yes, you have to. Bring the owner here because we were only going to restaurants that had local small owners. And I said, you mean to tell me <laughs> that I've got to do this? Yeah, you got to do it. I said, you know, that's nonsense. He says, yes, I know, but you got to do it. I was like, no, I don't. I'm not going to do it. And I'm never going to come back to your restaurant. I promise you. I had no place that I could go to eat. <laughs> that was, uh, uh, we had been there about four or five months earlier and everything was okay. And then, uh, you know, they got, more obsessed about all of this stuff and uh, would not let us go there to this uh, small Mexican restaurant. Uh, just, just crazy. We must continue to speak up about the nonsense they sold to us. You're absolutely right. We, we must not let that go. So let's talk about this. Is there something going on in Hawaii? All these millionaires and billionaires, their homes are fine. Well, there's also a church that was fine. You know, some churches burned, other churches didn't. Uh, the, um, and, and when you look at the picture of this uh, church that was there, it's a Catholic church, and all the grounds around it, there's, you know, it's got, it's got a, a wall there uh, that's, you know, not, doesn't look like it's too high. Uh, the perspective is uh, maybe a little bit strange. Uh, the trees are standing and not burned down. You got palm to pull that up. Um, the uh, glory to God, the Maui church remains standing. Uh, from today's uh, Hawaii stuff here. Uh, you take a look at that picture, uh, the Maria Lanakila Catholic Church in the downtown of this place was uh, left okay and uh, was not affected by any of this stuff. And, and so what do we make out of this? You know, it wasn't that long ago that we had a tornado in North Carolina that destroyed a Pfizer warehouse. And everybody was saying, this is White Hats who blew this up. This wasn't a tornado. Yeah, look at this. Look at how it didn't hit the cars in the parking lot and all the rest of this stuff. Do they not know how tornadoes operate? You know, you, most tornadoes, unless it is a massive wave, uh, you know, wall of tornadoes that you get as part of a hurricane, and we've seen this happen in Homestead, Florida years ago, where it just devastated everything in a very, very wide line. Everything was just taken to the ground. That's not typically how a tornado works. You know, that was a series of tornadoes that were spawned by, by that hurricane. You know, we can't look at 
any of these things, whether it is fires or whether it is tornadoes, and say, well, this is the way it always looks. It never looks the same way twice. And, and you see really strange things, you know, like a twig driven through some tempered glass, as I talked about. Our friend who, you know, he kind of, um, he worked for us at the video store, and he had been working at another video store. And he pulled up that day, and he's a real spacey guy, real spacey. He's a nice guy, but really spacey. And this is in a shopping center anchored by a Walmart. And so Walmart is there. And then at a right angle to Walmart are all these small stores. And one of them was the video store. And the video store was the first one closest to Walmart. He pulls up, he parks, he gets out, he goes over to open the door and unlock it. And he said, and I noticed that there was a twig sticking through the tempered glass. I thought, that's strange. How did that happen? And then he said, and then I looked over, and the Walmart was gone. <laughs> I pulled into the, into the station, and he did not, uh, the, the place, and I had not noticed that the Walmart was completely gone. And, you know, we can be that way. Sometimes we can uh, see some unusual detail and get our attention, and we don't really see what is going on. And so we have pictures of you know, buildings burned to the ground, but trees over here are not burned. This building, is, these, all these buildings are just wiped down to the ground, but these buildings over here are up there. I don't know if that's the case. All I have to say is that I'm not going to jump into this like Mike Adams and Stu Peters. You know, these guys are always knee-jerk theorists about everything. They always want to go to the craziest explanation. And they're just as ridiculous as Maisie Hirano, the, the senator from Hawaii, and the governor of Hawaii who are out there saying, it's climate change, it's climate change. Well, these other people who always see directed energy weapons or all the rest of the stuff whenever anything happens. Or it's white hat people who uh, took out this Pfizer distribution plant. No, it was obviously a tornado. There were videos of the tornado. And when it is a tornado, it hits this thing, doesn't hit that thing, then jumps over, hits that thing, jumps over. That's very common. And when you have a massive fire with massive winds like that, uh, they get blown around in these directions. I don't think that um, there is anything... In terms of that, just like I said from the very beginning, I said, look, this Pfizer plant thing is absolute garbage. It's being pushed by people left and right on, not left and right, but typically by people on the right who are opposed to uh, Pfizer. They were pushing that all over the place. If you're going to make extraordinary claims like directed energy weapons, you've got to show us some extraordinary evidence. You've got to back it up with that evidence. And I'm sorry, but I don't see anything. I've seen pictures from people like Stu Peters and Mike Adams saying, well, look at this. We've got fire in a circle. You don't think that's something that would happen in a situation like that? Uh, when you look at, pull back on that, you see a lot of other fires that are not in a circle. But if something in the center caught fire and started spreading out, you're going to have it in a circle, right? Um, again, the big issue is the other things that are being done. Uh, there are issues with the fact that uh, these people have... Um, put in place laws to take away other people's property uh, with this, uh, you know, if, if you've got to be rezoned, we can confiscate your property, that type of stuff. That is a real smoking gun. It's a real smoking gun that they were warned back in 2014 that this was a fire hazard and did nothing. That's a smoking gun. Those are real problems. Those are things that we can do something about. We know 
that this radical environmentalism, and I've talked about it, I've known about this for 50 years when my uncle was a forestry professor, and he said, this is what these people are doing. They don't want it to stewardship anymore. They don't want people to be able to go in and remove standing dead trees and make log homes out of them or make uh, two-by-fours out of them. They've banned that completely. And then those trees fall over and they become fuel, dry kindling. And whenever there's a fire from any source, whether it's arson or whether it's uh, uh, you know, natural lightning strike or something like that, you can't control these fires. That's the bigger issue. And when Mike Adams and Stu Peters jump on this kind of stuff, then we don't talk about that. That's the bigger Why can't they put the fires out in Canada? Why are they burning for so long? That's the bigger issue. Then who started it? Um, you know, they have set us up for disaster. And many people pointed that out. As a matter of fact, you know, just, just take a look at this video where you have uh, a resident, uh, as this fire is going, says this. Look at this overgrowth. Because if you guys look down here, you never maintain trees. And a tree is growing to the wires. The high power lines. And then the wires start the fire in the dry bushes. Yeah. So just know. How long this pole's gonna hang in. Yeah, another electric pole teetering being held at it's being supported by the power line, which the power has not been turned off. How long is that thing going to be there before these power lines break and then they start a fire? You see? And and so that's the issue. He was showing you an area there where it was dense uh, and the fire had not gone there. That was not Oprah's house. Obviously, she would have cut that back. That may be one of the reasons why. The billionaires' houses didn't burn. I don't know. It could be the fact that it was wind. Take a look at this wind. It's about to blow these pine tree, these uh, palm trees over. Look at that. Blowing over that. Um, <laughs> blowing over that uh, power pole that's there. Tremendous amount of wind, uh, and of course uh, that's going to produce very unusual results. You have total neglect that they were warned about as long ago as 2014 that they were setting this up for a disastrous effect. Those are things that you, you can't do anything about the wind, but you can do something about uh, not maintaining that. You can do things like shutting the power off. You can do things like warning people with a siren. Now, was that criminal intent or was that government not doing its job? You see, the government doesn't maintain the lands just like they don't maintain the roads. And they actually virtue signal about both of those things. Well, we're not going to do anything to the land. That's got to remain natural and untouched by human hands. And we don't want to fix the roads and the potholes because, you know, we don't even want to have cars out there. The cars are killing us all. They're going to kill the planet. Uh, so I've been told. Uh, yeah, the private jet's going to use uh, more than I will in my entire lifetime of driving a car. That's not in a year. You know, that's, they're going to do more than I do in a lifetime. But that's not to be banned. We're not going to do anything about that. The Maui wildfires are blamed on climate change, says the New American, but the real problem was government. You know, and, and it is equally predictable, uh, but it is not even as plausible as the directed energy weapons, uh, this climate change stuff. We knew the left was going to do that. We knew the right's going to do the directed energy weapons, or it's going to be HARP, or it's going to be this, or it's going to be that. Uh, but um, it is... Um, it's predictable that the left is going to tie this to climate change. 
As the New American says, the catastrophic wildfires on Maui have spurred many to speculate on what caused such a tragedy on an otherwise lush tropical island. But I just showed you the brush that was there. The La Haina, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, tragedy was very difficult to anticipate, especially because it came in a night with high winds. But that doesn't mean that we won't do everything we can in the future to stop this, said the governor. And they blamed it on climate change. Back in 2014, however, nearly a decade ago, there was a study that uh, was co-authored in the Western Maui Community Wildfire Protection Plan. In that report, the overall fire risk assessment for the entire area was listed as, quote, extreme, unquote, extreme fire risk. Uh, this is not the lush Hawaii that you think. It's a scrub brush that's there. Nobody does anything about it. We know there's high risk. We know the science. We have the data. We've done the assessments. We have the community programs in place, said the author at the time, uh, or, or about this. He said it might not have been 100% preventable, but it could have been mitigated. It could have been lessened, you see. You can't stop arsonists. You can't stop natural wildfires. But they don't have to get out of control because of your neglect. But we're going to neglect to talk about that because we want to talk about something sexy, something sensational. Let's talk about directed energy weapons. Hey, that works for Mike Adams and Stu Peters. They're much more successful than I am in terms of audience and all that kind of stuff. Maybe I should just jump into this whole thing. No. I'm sorry. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not open to climate change as being a cause of this. I've investigated this. I don't believe that at all. Convince me, though. You know, I'm, I'm open to the fact that it's directed energy weapons. I just haven't seen any proof. And the stuff that I've seen put up, I don't buy it. So if you got any proof, please send it to me. Governor Green, a Democrat, complains that the state had never experienced a wildfire that affected a city. Uh, and, uh, but that's not true. They not only had foreknowledge, but they failed to do anything at all about it. However, you know, they did put in some regulations that would help the uh, billionaires to take control and to exploit this. You know, whether or not they charge, whether or not they start something, they can always exploit it. You understand? And, and so, again, that's another thing that we need to make a distinction about. And if we go off with a, a, a false lead on something, uh, that's going to hurt us. As we rebuild, said um, the governor, we will have to take into consideration a lot more fire safety. This is going to be a priority. Climate change is here, and it's affecting the islands, and I think that's what we're seeing now with this fire. And so what he's going to wind up doing probably is enacting zoning restrictions that are going to keep people from being able to rebuild. They will take the land. They will then squish people into some kind of smart city, and or give the land to the billionaires. You can see that this is how they're going to use this event. The Associated Press, which dispenses climate propaganda in part with millions of dollars, says the New American. Uh, millions of dollars from the Rockefeller Foundation, the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, also use the tragedy to toot the climate emergency horn. But Dr. H. Sterling Burnett, a climate scientist with the Heartland Institute, said climate change was not a factor. The modest background warming did not cause the present dryness, nor did it cause poor land management. Uh, but the environmentalists caused poor land management. This environmental religion. Don't touch it. Don't do any maintenance to it. Uh, many of you 
have contacted me and said, you worked in forestry or knew somebody who did or whatever. You've personally seen this neglect. Uh, the uh, climate change did not spark the fire, nor did it cause the winds from a hurricane, nor perhaps most importantly, did it cause the government to not prepare to fight such fires with the huge fuel buildup from the neglect uh, or to decide not to sell off to set off the island-wide alarm system. And uh, so uh, when, you, um, when you look at, uh, this is something that came from uh, Wall Street Journal. This is tweeted out by Steve Malloy. And they talk about uh, the difference between Rhodes, Greece, an island roughly the same length and width as Maui. Its economy depends almost entirely on tourism, like Maui. About two and a half million visitors in 2022, about the same number as Maui. It looks very similar, right? Uh, Maui is a typical tropical Polynesian island. Rhodes is subtropical. And uh, by Eastern Mediterranean standards, it's quite wooded and wet. But last month, several fires broke out in Rhodes. And there was a big difference in crisis management. In Maui, about 11,000 tourists were evacuated mainly from two locales and roads between 20,000 and 30,000 people were evacuated from 12 locations in a single day. The fires in Maui burned for two days and roads, they burned for about eight days and roads. About 1500 people were evacuated from the beaches in Maui, fewer than 20 and roads, local residents, the red cross, the Greek civil protection delivered humanitarian supplies to evacuees in Maui. Some survivors reportedly had to buy their own mattresses and pillows. In Rhodes, there was only one casualty, a volunteer firefighter. There were evacuation orders from the Greek Emergency Communication Service, known as 112, in addition to being single emergency number, like 911. The 112 service encompasses a national integrated public alert and warning system, which provides emergency information to the public through mobile and landline telephones. The service doesn't require an app or a subscription. The messages go to all cell phones and all the area at risk in Greek and in English. And so what's the difference there? Again, when you contrast the Greek Island with Hawaiian Island, uh, they have, um, it's a drier, uh, area. Uh, it's got woodlands there. Uh, but the difference is that they fought it for a longer period of time and, and they warned people about it and they evacuated people and they don't. So if we focus on directed energy weapons, are we going to give a pass to the incompetence that is really what killed people? See, that's the problem when you jump into this stuff with this phony sensationalism of Mike Adams and Stu Peters and other people of that ilk. You let the real criminals and the real problems go unaddressed. It's the same thing they do with the lab in Wuhan. You know, let's not talk about what Trump and the public health officials and the governors, Republican as well as Democrat, let's not talk about what they did. Let's talk about China. And let's talk about the Wuhan thing. You see, they misdirect you into sensational stuff so that you don't do anything about the real crimes that are there. Again, they were fighting in uh, the Greek island. They were fighting 12 different locations all at once. They only had one casualty, a firefighter. But they actually did something about it. And um, who knows? Maybe one of the reasons that they were able to uh, 
get this thing under control eventually was because they hadn't been so negligent in terms of leaving fuel all over the place. I mean, just, you know, what would you say if the government went in and started putting gasoline cans in different areas? Do you realize that once a fire starts, a forest fire like that starts, that these, this deadwood is like a gasoline can? It's exactly what it is. So um, you had uh, this report. Uh, it was put out uh, by an account, uh, Jessica Rojas. I don't know. She did not identify the guy, but I thought it was important what he had to say. And um, again, he is talking about, um, uh, you know, some of uh, uh, questions that people have, including some of the people who are talking about this being directed energy weapons. So today we're going to talk about some updates on the Hawaiian fire situation. Now, I want you to look at this guy's page, go to his Instagram and follow him. He's talking about how people are trying to bring in supplies such as water, food, and gas, and they are being turned away. The military is turning away people from helping, and he was talking about this on his page. Now, if we take it a step further, the governor was asked, why didn't the system go off when the fires were happening? And he was basically saying it must have been a malfunction. But what's interesting is a person commented, the siren sounds went off when there was no tsunami, but the sound when an actual burning fire disaster, it doesn't occur. What's also interesting about the governor was he passed this executive order just before this in July, which could take away the land from the people based on if they need to rezone. There's also a lady who has mentioned how the Red Cross has had hundreds of millions of donations from all these celebrities but they don't have any security and they're having to move the people out who have lost everything. So then we look at this lady's work and we can see that this looks like a land grab. If all of these politicians and celebrities really cared, why aren't they talking about this legislation? This legislation was something that was proposed on January 5th of 2023 of 51 acres in the same area of the fire would be turned into a housing project. Interesting. Now what's also interesting is this follows the Agenda 2030 planned as well. So we really have to ask, was this just what the media reported or something planned? Yeah, and that is a real suspicious thing there. That's where we ought to focus. You want to talk about a conspiracy theory? Talk about the fact that they put this out in July. Said, uh, if we have to rezone this for any kind of issue, or, you know, if there's some kind of a, a natural disaster, since we've uh, laid the groundwork for this and we've been warned about it for over a decade, and, you know, if there's something like that happens or whatever, uh, we can confiscate all this land Put you all into a housing project, something like that, or or let our corporate uh, backers get all this stuff. I've talked about how this worked with poor people uh, in Tampa. They didn't have to set fires. What they did was they put out building inspectors who would go around and said, you know, I, I noticed the paint is cracking a little bit on your house. And these people got very, very poor. And they would uh, say, so um, here's a citation. You're going to have to get this your whole house painted in a week. If you don't do that, you're going to start accumulating fines. And they were excessive fines. And then when they got up to a certain level, they would just come in and confiscate their home and kick them out. And when they got enough of these, uh, and then tear down the house. And then when they got enough of these, they would use eminent domain to get a few of them. And then they would turn it over to their pals and they built skyscrapers. So I don't even recognize Tampa when I go back there anymore. Uh, the mayor who was doing that, Sandlot Freeman. Again, the local corruption, local scam is that local governments, you typically have people who are connected with real estate business. And, um, you know, they, they do this stuff for their friends. And uh, so, yeah, that is a, a real issue there. 
uh, on Rumble. Unknown client 51 said, if the fires weren't the result of incendiary devices or directed energy weapons, I'd say they purposely let the fires expand because large corporations have wanted downtown Lahaina for a long time, but the locals owned it. Well, I believe that it was a given. You don't have to let the fire expand. You let the place grow up. You ignore all the warnings about it being an extreme fire hazard. You know, somebody comes in and says, you know, you shouldn't leave those, uh, that linseed oil there and all these rags around there. That's a fire hazard. It's like, ah, don't worry about it. And then your house burns down. It's like, well, you were warned, right? That's what these people have done. They deliberately set this up, and then they set up this other, this other law. So, I mean, it could be uh, that maybe they committed arson in some way. But to jump on this as direct energy weapon, why would you assume something like that, first of all? Let's start with the first thing he had to say there. Well, we have troops that are keeping people away. Really? This has always been the case. And this is what we this type of stuff is what we need to focus on without the distraction of directed energy weapons or something like that. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, the Fraser Institute has a contest for high school students and college students. And when my sons were in high school, um, they did videos and submitted it to them, and they won. It's a Canada and um, and the United States. Uh, both Travis and my other son uh, did uh, documentaries for that. And, um, you know, Travis won a first prize one year and the next year, um, my other son got involved in it and, uh, they won first and second prize in it. And, um, my other son did a, um, uh, a video that contrasted the way emergencies were handled when you had the federal government involved or the national guard or something like that got involved versus when locals took care of it. And so close to where we lived, a tornado came through. And it tore up the town. And the government's only response was to use the sheriff, the sheriff's office, uh, sent patrol cars out, and they blocked off the areas where there were down power lines to make sure nobody got electrocuted. And then the rest of the response was completely voluntary by the community. You had businesses all over the place were donating canned food and other things that people would need in an emergency like this, water, canned food, and and, uh, you know, blankets, whatever, all that kind of stuff being donated. Massive amount of stuff was donated because of this tornado that went through. And then the churches opened up their parking lots, and that's where they put the stuff. And they made churches, a lot of different churches, became distribution centers. And the church members showed up, and they handed out the stuff to people for free. Problem solved. And, of course, they had to rebuild. Uh, but on the coast... We had some friends who had uh, a, a owned property and a house on the coast, and a hurricane came through, and it was a large area of damage, as it is always with hurricanes, and they were furious as to how FEMA and the National Guard, the North Carolina National Guard, acted with people. Exactly the same thing that we're hearing about what's happening in Hawaii. They said, if we ever have another hurricane, I'm not going to leave my house. That's why people will write it out. It's because of the way they're treated by FEMA and by the government in so many cases. And this is about 15, uh, 15, 20 years ago that we did this. I don't know, between 15, 20, probably closer to 15 years they did this. And um, so, uh, and, and, uh, and so they went around and they you know, interviewed people who had been through both of these experiences. And the people who had property at the coast, they told everybody, we got to evacuate 
And then when they evacuated, they wouldn't let the people back in. They blocked them. They wouldn't let them go in and take care of any of their possessions or try to fix their house or protect their house from the rain or anything like that. They had no place to go, but they wouldn't let them back in. Absolutely no help to anything. And of course, the looters were still able to get in and to uh, get things. So that's not unusual at all. Uh, the random damage patterns are not unusual at all with storms. When you have violent storms like this, whether you're talking about uh, hurricanes or tornadoes or wildfires that are being whipped by very high winds, we've seen this type of thing happening around in this area as well. And you can go in and see areas that are the fire skips over for whatever reason. That is also not unusual. And uh, then you look at the directed energy weapons. As proof, I've seen people putting up on social media pictures. Look at this. And you, know, and you see this looks like a beam, broad beam coming down. And you see an explosion or, or, or you know, see the beam and the explosion at the same time. And uh, various other things. And people say, okay, so explain this stuff. Well, people have said, uh, well, it's exploding uh, transformers. And what you're seeing here is lens flare. You're taking this picture at night. You're not going to see a directed energy weapon beam. You're not going to see it. You know, going back to when I was in college, we had um, in a class we had a professor who was demonstrating uh, a laser. I don't know what the subject was about, but I remember the experiment because he had uh, a radio receiver, and he had uh, they converted it to amplitude modulation with the laser. And so he plugs in the radio to a laser here. The laser shoots it across the room to a receiving sensor and uh, picks up that amplitude modulation and converts it to a radio signal that goes out to the amplifier and the speakers on that side. So you hear it and illustrate that it was the uh, laser beam that was doing it. He takes um, a piece of paper and he sticks it in the path there. And immediately the rate, the music stops, he pulls it up and you hear the music again, puts it down and it stops again. And you could see the beam on the paper. And then he goes over and he grabs some erasers and he bangs erasers together and gets some dust. And as the dust falls down into the path of the beam, you would see that dust being illuminated in red. And you would also hear static on the, um, on the radio as it's interrupting that. So the bottom line is you're not going to see the laser when it's coming. These people say, oh, look, it's like a, some kind of a Star Wars thing. No, you're seeing a lens flare that's happening there. You're seeing exploding electrical stuff that wasn't turned off, if that was even from Hawaii. Uh, we're, we're seeing all this type of stuff. And again, why don't we talk about the rezoning stuff? What's up with that? Why don't we talk about the fact that they set this whole thing up? I mean, it's like filling a warehouse with, linseed oil and rags, and then setting back and waiting for the fire to happen. You know, you already prepared this thing. You know, who lit the fuse? I don't know, but you set this whole thing up. So they should talk about that. And now the power lines are being blamed by many people. Uh, you've actually had lawsuits filed against the electric company for not shutting down the power. You saw those pictures of the, uh, the wind blowing the uh, power pole over to the side. The only thing that's holding it is going back and forth of the power lines. Well, eventually those power lines break. They come down. They start fires themselves. 
Transformers blow up. That starts fires as well. New videos show flames dancing at the feet of the electricity pylons moments before the tower itself goes up in smoke. And this is how things work. Uh, so couple there has um, uh, now filed suit. Monica and Retta Eater have uh, filed suit against the power company for leaving the power running through all of this. The historic coastal town on the island of Maui was almost destroyed by the fast-moving inferno Wednesday morning, with survivors saying there had been no warning. When asked Sunday why none of the island's sirens had been activated, Hawaiian Senator Maisie Hirano said she would wait for the results of an investigation announced by the state's attorney general. Well, you can ask why they didn't do that. You can ask why they didn't. Why didn't they sound the alarm? Why didn't they heed the alarm that was put out a decade ago about the brush not being cleared? Why did they pass this law, which we all know is about 2030? Uh, that's what you need to focus on instead of this other stuff. Um, focus on the climate policies, focus on the willful neglect, the foreknowledge, uh, the lack of following that warning, the lack of putting out a warning to residents, and the laws to confiscate. And of course, the billionaires are always going to be there ready to pounce on that. But instead, we have people who are going to put out sensational details to distract you from the real issues. Now, RFK Jr. has jumped in on this. And he jumped in with the ridiculous statements that we saw from Maisie Hirano and the governor that this is climate change. And what he said was that both sides, skeptics as well as the activists, people that I call alarmists. <clears throat> so he says the alarmists and the skeptics can all join together and oppose this, uh, not because of mismanagement, no, because it's climate change now, right? And this is a big red flag for RFK Jr., really. Uh, he does get close to it. He said, Hawaiian fires result from poor tending of the land. First, industrial agricultural plantations obtained, uh, obliterated native ecosystems. And when these farms were abandoned, combustible invasive grasses took over. Well, I don't think it was strictly that. I mean, when we look at the brush that's here, uh, this is trees. Look down here in contact with power lines, that in and of itself could start a fire, even if you didn't have winds. The winds would push it. But that in and of itself, having that, it's amazing to me because we have crews out here that come along and cut the trees away from the power lines. You don't want them getting that close where they're going to touch, and yet they're running the power lines right through the bushes there. It's stupid. Uh, so it doesn't have anything to do with climate. It's just bad management of everything that's there. It's a Democrat-run place. They don't do anything right. Uh, that's your issue. You know, this is, uh, your problem is you're being run by Democrats, and they don't do anything right. So uh, stop ruining the land and the water, he says. Stop poisoning the earth. Protect what remains. Regenerate what was damaged. Healthy ecosystems stabilize weather and mitigate flood drought cycle. They also draw down carbon. Look. It's this kind of, uh, you know, Mother Earth is special. Um, you need to work as uh, managing, managing this stuff. But the radical environmentalists, and I would put RFK Jr. in that category for sure, don't see this as a case of management. It's really not that complicated. You cut the brush. You, you manage the power lines. 
And you don't allow the government to put in new laws to confiscate your property if there's a fire. It's just that simple. That's what needs to be focused on. Uh, we'll be right back. Listening to the David Knight Show. Thank uh, Max B on Rockfin. Thank you for the tip. And he says, uh, good morning to all. And a big thanks to Audi for matching today. Yes. Thank you to Audi who has uh, modern retro radio uh, for matching contributions on Rockfin. Um, let's talk a little bit about abortion. we got a couple of uh, presidential candidates who have weighed into it in a different way. We have RFK Jr. really stepped in it. He, he's now offended people on both sides with his uh, statement, his vacillation on it as well. We also have Nikki Haley, who's now waded into this with a couple of misstatements. But first, let's take a look at RFK Jr. Uh, he said that he would sign a federal abortion ban at three months of pregnancy, and then he reversed it after the Democrats got very upset with him. And uh, they came back and uh, they walked this back. His campaign said Mr. Kennedy misunderstood a question posed to him by an NBC reporter in a crowded, uh, fair environment here. And, um, here it is, um, in a crowded, noisy exhibit hall at the Iowa state fair. Kennedy does not support legislation banning abortion. Well, let's see. I think it's pretty clear. Just listen to this. See what he has to say. Do you sign a federal protection to protect the rights that were in the Roe precedent if you were president? I believe that a decision to abort a child should be up to the women during the first three months of life. So you would cap it at 15 weeks? Yes. Or 21 yes. weeks? Yeah, three months. So three months. You would sign a federal cap on that? Yes, I would. Okay. So not unlimited access to abortion, as many in the Democratic Party. I think the states, uh, you know, once a, a child is viable, outside the womb, I think then the state has an interest in protecting that child. That is, that supersedes, and you know, I think that the state has an interest at every level, but at some point, I don't, you know, I'm against, I'm for medical freedom. I right. think individuals ought to be able to make their own choices. Which is why I'm surprised to hear you say you have it. Well, because, you know, I think at some point you can say, uh, the state, I would personally not. I think the state's, um, have a, you know, have a right to, uh, to protect a child once the child becomes liable. That right in increases, and I think there's very, very few abortions that are performed after that period of time anyway. That's most true. abortions are performed during the first three months of life, and I think that's when, uh, 
you know, I feel I, I fought harder than anybody in this country for medical freedom. Does that sound like he didn't couldn't hear her? Sounded to me like they had a pretty good conversation there. Sounded to me like this is an issue that you would have thought he would have whatever his position, you would have thought that he would have thought this thing through. So he's got an answer. Yeah, here's my policy. Does he know that he's going to be asked about abortion? Seriously? He's just winging it there. Well, yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, maybe I would do that. Well, maybe. And then he takes the whole thing back. You know, uh, once a child is viable outside the womb, he eventually said, I think then the state has an interest in protecting the child. Uh, No, if the child, the child can be viable, uh, even if it is inside the womb. And that's what he later said. You know, look, you know, if we get three months or whatever, you protect the life of the child. And, uh, you know, the, the child is still inside the womb. It's still viable. A child inside the womb, even if it might not be able to survive yet with the medical technology, if you pull the child out, uh, the child is still alive. The child can still feel pain. The child still has a heartbeat. You don't care about that? Uh, who made you God? God actually has something to say about that. Uh, you know, it's just truly amazing to me to see these arguments uh, going back and forth. And, of course, he says, um, well, you know, the, the state has a right to protect the baby's life whenever it's viable. Really? It does? Uh, states don't have rights. Again, corporations don't have rights. States don't have rights. Corporations have power. Uh, I'm sorry, corporations have privilege, states have powers. Tenth Amendment says the powers that have not been delegated to the federal government are retained by the states and by the people. Who created the federal government? The federal government is a creature of the people and a creature of the states. And they can delegate powers to that, uh, but if they haven't delegated them explicitly, then the federal government doesn't have those powers. And that's the key issue. This was not something, as, uh, as RFK Jr. has said in the past, a, a new right that was given to states by the Supreme Court. No. Again, states do not have rights. People have rights because we are created by God in his image. That's why we have rights. States are institutions that we create that have power, and we give them that power in order to protect our God-given rights. And one of those rights is the right to life. And all human beings have that right. And the Bible is very clear about that. It says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Long before uh, this. And, and, you know, giving illustrations, uh, that's in the uh, Old Testament, in the New Testament, illustrations where um, it says the baby, when um, Elizabeth was pregnant with uh, with John the Baptist, the baby leaped inside her womb when it heard Mary. And, you know, who's pregnant with uh, Jesus. So uh, maybe you just don't believe the Bible. Uh, but we've got to draw the line somewhere from a practical standpoint. Where do we draw the line? Do we draw the line and say, well, um, because this is where the abortionists draw the line. They say, if the mother wants to kill the baby, then even if the baby survives the abortion, we're going to kill the baby. Viable babies are murdered like that. They call it comfort care. They leave the baby to die, just like they left that COVID patient to die. Did everything they could to kill her for whatever their reasons are. You see, if you don't respect life at the beginning of life, you're not going to respect it at the end or in the middle either. 
oh, well, somebody's here and uh, they're a nuisance, or I could make uh, money out of this, or it's Terry Shavo, and you got a probate judge who says, kill her, don't give her any water or food. I'm not going to let you do anything to help her. I'm not going to let you do anything to help your relative who we're killing here in the hospital, denying food and water, denying medication, putting a do not resuscitate order, giving them dangerous drugs that kill people that don't help them like remdesivir, putting them on ventilators that give them infections and kill them. You know, that's where we wind up with if we don't respect life. You see, from a practical standpoint, we get all that stuff. So maybe you don't believe the Bible. Do you believe what you've seen in the last three and a half years? Done by hospitals and medical people? Do you believe what uh, we tell you about uh, what they're doing in terms of their eugenics program? A leading conservative anti-abortion group, Susan B. Anthony List, praised Kennedy's position in a statement when he first said it, calling it, quote, a stark contrast to the Democrat Party's radical stance of abortion on demand. He made it very clear. Well, yeah, you know, three months. Yeah, yeah, three months, three months. He said that several times. And when the baby is viable, the states have a right, he said, to protect that baby's life. Well, if they have a right to protect the life, then who has a right to murder that baby in other states? I really don't understand. So that's a bit of a problem for him. And then you have Nikki Haley, who has made a couple of really boneheaded statements about abortion lately. Uh, first of all, she was very angry with uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville. I think Tommy's his first name, if I remember correctly. Uh, from Alabama, he was the um, uh, coach of the of the football team there at the university. So he handily won. That's the way we do our elections anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, he's doing the right thing. And in other words, as the as you have states in Alabama and other places, his state, Alabama, uh, stopping abortions, the Pentagon has, in defiance of that, said, "Well." Uh, we'll be happy to transport women to another location to have their abortion. If you're stationed in a place where it's against the law, we'll transport you to another state. And so what Tuberville said was, uh, well, I want that stopped, or I want an explanation of that. And until you give me an explanation or stop that, then I'm not going to allow any promotions for officers. And so Nikki Haley got very upset about that. What's the matter with this guy? I mean, he's out there trying to save babies' lives. We got a war to run. We got people to kill. We need more bureaucrats in the Pentagon in order to do that, right? No, you don't, actually. The military is so overly top-heavy with generals and admirals and all the rest. It's a joke. It's a giant bureaucracy. Look at that. I forget what the numbers were on it, but if you go back and look at it, we've done reports on this in the past. The number of generals and admirals that we had in World War II to fight that versus the number that we've got now. It's ridiculous to have this much of a top-heavy military, but it really got Nikki Haley upset. How dare you try to protect innocent lives when we got people we need to be killing all over the planet, right? At least she's consistently for murder, right? For no reason. Murder for no reason. And so uh, now she's come out with something else. That was a couple of weeks ago. Now she says that uh, we have to stop demonizing women who have abortions. The 51-year-old Republican presidential hopeful, she doesn't have a 
she doesn't have a chance. She is in the running for being a Republican. And quite frankly, uh, I would be very surprised if Trump were to pick her. But again, if, uh, you know, he, whoever he picks to be his running mate, and I'm just assuming that, you know, with him so far ahead in the polls and with uh, every indictment and trial he gains in popularity. So I'm assuming he's going to be the nominee as we move into this idiotic uh, election cycle. Uh, anyway, when he's looking for somebody, he's going to pick somebody that's going to click a lot of identity politics boxes. That's one of the reasons why he picked Pence. He clicked uh, what was a very important identity politics box for Trump at the time, and that was his evangelical credentials. Uh, and, and he was very well known, you know, for being uh, straight, super straight. I remember Alex complaining about him. <laughs> he said one time, he said, "This guy, he goes." He won't be alone in a room with a woman because he's afraid of how that's going to look. And I said, well, I think that's a really smart policy. I said, if you look at Gary Bauer, you know, Gary Bauer is this guy with the moral majority and stuff like that. He wanted to run for president, but it was known that he would hold private meetings with this one woman. And there was never any proof of anything going on. But people thought that it looked really strange. It created a whispering campaign, and it basically you know, created a lot of friction in his campaign. Uh, one of the reasons why he didn't go anywhere, but he wasn't going to win anything anyway. But still, it was a, it was a big issue. And uh, you've got other Christian leaders who will say, well, I'm not even going to get on an elevator if it's just me and another woman. Because uh, uh, look at all the, you know, he said, she said allegations that are out there. I think it's a smart policy. It's not like, you know, Mike Pence can't help himself. It's not like he's Rudy Giuliani or Donald Trump or something where he's going to jump on the woman the minute he gets alone with her. It's just he doesn't want to see how that's going to look. And so he had that reputation of being the super straight-laced guy. And Trump needed that, not just for the evangelical vote, but for the vote in general, because he was such a Epstein rascal. So he needed some kind of a counteract for that. So, you know, her only hope is that she can trade on her identity politics. He needs somebody who's younger. He needs somebody who's female. And uh, he needs somebody who's identifiable as a minority and all the rest of this stuff. But she otherwise doesn't have a, a chance. And so she's out there now saying um, uh, that it is um, uh, it's unlikely that the Republicans will be able to pass a federal ban on abortion. And they should stop demonizing women who have decided to have an abortion. She said, we have to stop demonizing that issue and humanize that. Really? Well, I think that's what people who are pro-life are trying to do. They're trying to humanize it. I think it's the doctors who are the demons. I think it's the doctors who have jeopardy in all of this. It is not the woman who has jeopardy in this. Nobody has a law where they lock up a woman, but they will lock up an abortionist who knows better. He knows or she knows that they're killing a baby. They know. They absolutely do know. They may pull the wool over the woman's eyes. She may be totally deceived by these people. But those doctors know. Those abortionists know. And so those are the ones that we demonize. Those are the ones that we lock up. So um, when we look at this, you know, Biden is out there and the Democrats are demonizing crisis pregnancy centers where people say, let us help you. Yeah, we can help you with a baby. We can help you with material circumstances, you're in a difficult situation, we can find you a place to live and all this. No, they demonize the crisis centers. Does she have a problem with that? 
No, no, she has a problem and says that we got to stop demonizing abortion. Uh, no, we know the demons who are running this stuff. And, um, you know, uh, and they know better. And in many cases, like Planned Parenthood, they are accessories to sex trafficking of children and minors. I, I read you that story last week. You know, people who said, yeah, I was you know, caught up in all of this stuff, and they took me for multiple abortions and the horror stories about Planned Parenthood, but Planned Parenthood keeps that all secret. You have a minor that comes in that's pregnant, guess what? That's statutory rape. There is no such thing as consent to that. And there should be no such thing as a minor consenting to mutilate their body, but Planned Parenthood is making money off of that. There should be no such thing as having a baby so that you can harvest the organs and sell them to our government, the NIH and Fauci and other people to make transhumanized mice. There is no justification for any of that stuff. You want to talk about demons? Well, let's demonize that. Nikki Haley doesn't have a problem with any of those practices. Instead, what she wants to do is she wants to stand in favor of abortion. Uh, she should be finished. But of course, this is a woman as one of the most you know, she's a female John McCain. It's about the worst insult I can think of for anybody. Uh, on Rumble, thank you, RCF2020. Thank you for the tip. It says, when it's all said and done, it wouldn't surprise me if the government came out and said a cow knocked over a lantern in the barn. Yeah, the Chicago fire, yeah. Yeah, and on Rockfin, Mona Nicholas, thank you very much. That's very kind, all of you. And uh, thank you again to Audi uh, MMR. But um, thank you for all, to all of you for... Uh, your support. It, it really is amazing. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, we've got one more thing before we take a break to say about abortion. Talk about people who are being demonized, right? This is a golf writer who quit as a reporter uh, after the people, his publisher refused to publish a story that he had about a woman golfer who was playing uh, in late stages of pregnancy, she was playing golf professionally. And she said, a lot of people were angry about that. A lot of people thought I should have an abortion or whatever, but I'm very pro-life and I'm pro-life because I'm a Christian. Oh, they couldn't stand that. You talk about people who want to demonize things. Oh, well, we shouldn't demonize abortion. We shouldn't demonize, uh, women who, um, like this woman, professional golfer who puts her baby and her um, Christian beliefs up front and talks about it. So um, this, uh, the golfer's name is Amy Olson. She was completing, competing while pregnant. And according to the writer, Steve Eubanks, who used to work for the Global Golf Post, his editors, he said, went ballistic, quote-unquote, after learning of the content of the interview. And they vowed that the piece would not get published unless he removed the pro-life and the pro-Christian portions. So uh, he was assigned to cover this. Uh, she was playing in the U.S. Women's Open Golf Tournament. Uh, she was competing while seven months pregnant. I mean, that's a story, isn't it? You know, you're physically able to do this kind of stuff that late in the pregnancy. The unpublished version, which has been obtained by the Blaze, and that Eubanks, the reporter, asks about the reactions that she's received about her decision to compete in the later stages of pregnancy. Uh, and um, uh, he said, uh, 
as he quit, he said, I've been honored that people picked up the story and have been interested in it. And I feel like everybody's been supportive. Nothing but goodwill has come toward me. I've been appreciative of that. But he said, um, she, when she, he talked to her, she highlighted the irony of the fact that she was competing while pregnant so close to the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. She said, I will say um, that the irony is not lost on me that one year ago when Roe v. Wade was overturned, I was playing a major championship outside Washington, D.C., and women from around the world, even on tour, were outraged. She said, now a year later, people are celebrating that I'm going to be playing a major championship with an unborn child that they recognize as a life. She also highlighted her faith and the challenges of being Christian, a Christian who speaks about Christian values publicly. She said it's very tough. Being a Christian has always been political because Christianity is supposed to touch every aspect of your life. I believe in comprehensive Christianity. It dictates how you treat people, how you think about the world, and the decisions that you make. But over the last decade, she said, it's become extremely difficult because a lot of things that Christianity stands for have become political battlegrounds. Christ has not changed his view on any of those things, but the culture has changed. And so he writes a story. And he says, about five hours after he turned it over to the editors, I got calls, and this is his exact words, quote, the staff is going nuts. They're saying that we can't run this. And the reporter Eubanks said, I was fighting very vociferously to get it run. I said, it's news. We're a news outlet. And the point I wanted to make was if she had said exactly the opposite, I still would have fought to put it in. In other words, this is what she had to say. Don't you want to know what she had to say? Well, no, this is about their political and religious beliefs. And they're only going to allow their political and religious beliefs to be out there. Nothing of the other side. After several battles over the phone, he claims that he was given an ultimatum. They said, the only way that we're going to run this piece is if you take out the abortion and the Christian stuff. Well, that last line did it for me, he said, and I resigned on the spot. The last line showed me that not only were they anti-news, but they were decidedly anti-Christian, and I just couldn't accept that. And so then he took his story to USA Today. And uh, they have a a publication there called Golf Week under USA Today. He said um, they liked the story. I gave them the story. I got approval from the reporter's editorial staff. But then other editors overruled it, and they would not publish it either. So then he took it to uh, the blaze. Isn't that amazing? But that's where we are today. We'll be right back.
The Globalist Next Move. And now, The David Knight Show. Well, The Times, we always say The London Times, but we had friends from uh, England who said, no, there's only The Times. <laughs> Any other newspaper you have to qualify, but there's no qualification for The Times. Well, The Times. Uh, brought this uh, to the public's attention. This has now uh, been picked up by several different publications. How AI can now steal your password by listening to your keystrokes. And it can do it with 95% accuracy. Researchers programmed an AI software to listen to the keystrokes on a MacBook Pro keys over the phone and on Zoom calls as somebody was typing on the keyboard. The AI quickly learned the sound of each key and was able to begin to pinpoint what the password was. When trained on keystrokes recorded by a phone, it achieved an accuracy of 95%. It achieved an accuracy of 93% when he's dropping through Zoom. Well, again, it goes to show the obsession with using artificial intelligence to surveil us and to monitor us and to report about us. As I said, each key has a unique audio or voice that can be fingerprinted to infer what is being pressed. Made me think about how the Soviets profiled typewriters as they were leaving the factory. They looked at the idiosyncrasies of these mechanical typewriters and how they would, you know, have uh, minor imperfections in terms of uh, various letters and they would record that. So that then they could use that to try to control what people said, and what they wrote you know, uh, to follow this and say, well, that was done on this computer and follow the chain of um, uh, provenance, if you will. And of course we have that already being done in a much more insidious way, as I've mentioned many times, I'll continue to mention it because the, the mainstream press is not talking about the Coalition for Content Provenance and Authentication, CCPA. They make it C2PA. It is a project with Microsoft and DARPA to identify and to mark everything that you create, whether it is text or whether it's a picture meme or whether it's audio, or whether it's audio video, they would mark it. And they have uh, a coalition with software companies like Adobe, where you would create things like that and other ones, not just them. Also with uh, hardware CPU manufacturers like Intel and ARM. And so the hardware, the creating software will mark you. And then they have a coalition with uh, people like the Times and the New York Times and the Washington Post and the BBC to determine what is truth. And if you put stuff up that they don't like, the Ministry of Truth will mark you and keep your stuff from being uploaded. That is how bad this is. And it goes right back to the Soviets and their Samistad. But the technology is far more detailed, isn't it? And... Um, you know, when I look at this, there was, uh, even when I was working in the late 1970s, um, interning at a place um, that did military contract work, they called this tempesting. And uh, they would have tempested keyboards and other things like that. A typical keyboard would not just put out audio signals, which is what this one is picking up on. 
with a phone, with a Zoom call or something like that. But they had very sensitive, at the time, they had very sensitive electronic listening devices that could pick up, you know, inaudible electromagnetic signals as the keyboards were typing. And so they had to make sure that they had equipment that had been, you know, fixed so they didn't put that kind of stuff out. Because they already had 50 years ago uh, spy versus spy type of stuff <laughs> right out of Mad Magazine where they're listening, you know, to see if they can hear the keyboard strokes and then uh, go back and figure out what you're doing. I think that kind of stuff is just all over the place. As a matter of fact, they've got uh, the, um, uh, the DEF CON convention and then it's followed by Black Hat Conference. That's going on in Vegas right now. I've talked about that many years. Uh, this year, uh, one of the things that made uh, the press, I don't know what all they're doing, but uh, this year, one of the things that they're talking about is uh, DARPA is there with DEFCON. The defense minister, the, the military industrial conflicts and the uh, defense people are there with DEFCON. And so they look for promising hackers that they then want to hire. But then there's also the week after that, they have the Black Hat Conference. And that's where they do more interesting things. Like that's where they had Voter Village years ago. And I've talked about that over and over again in terms of vulnerability of our elections. You know, they brought in a group of um, young teens, none of them, you know, out of high school. And they had a competition to see who could uh, hack a replica of a state board of elections website most quickly. Other times they would do it for the election machines. And uh, they were all able to do it. They had like 30 kids. They were all able to do it except for like two. And uh, the winner was a, a young girl who was in her early teens. She was able to do it more quickly than the rest of them. But again, you know, about 28 out of 30 were able to do it. And uh, so they do that type of thing. Goat Tree has talked about a friend of his who was going to reveal, several years ago, was going to reveal how vulnerable medical devices were to being hacked. And, um, you know, all kinds of electronic medical devices that people have. And he was going to do a big presentation. And uh, the night before the presentation, he died from a drug overdose. And Gotree said, I knew that guy. And he was as clean and non-drug as you are, talking to me. He would never have done any drugs. So very suspicious about that. Other years they have... Uh, had situations where they showed how they could take over uh, cars very easily with the increasing um, electronics that are in these cars. And the more electronics they put in to control things like steering, brakes, and all this other kind of stuff, is safety, of course. You know, Then the more vulnerable these things are to being hacked. Uh, that was done, I think, shortly after uh, you had the uh, reporter, um, Michael Hastings. Is it Michael Hastings? Yeah, I think so. Um, who um, supposedly crashed and died. Uh, anyway, uh, so all that kind of stuff is happening now. So this year, they're, what they're talking about for the DEF CON stage of this, the government stage of this, they've invited hackers to try to hack one of their satellites. And, uh, and so you know what's going to happen. I mean, this is, um, uh, they're, they're creating the vulnerabilities, and that is really where a lot of this stuff is, is going to happen. I thought this was interesting in terms of artificial intelligence. This comes out of uh, New Zealand. Actually, the story is from Fox News. A, a grocery store app that uh, supposedly runs off artificial intelligence suggested bizarre and dangerous recipes. 
Now, you know, you could have an app that wasn't AI that could do this kind of stuff. It's not that complicated a thing. But, you know, we've got the latest bells and whistles. We've got artificial intelligence, and it can do this stuff more extensively. And it can also hallucinate, too, right? <laughs> it can make stuff up. A New Zealand supermarket ran into some trouble when its experimental artificial AI meal plan application produced recipes ranging from disgusting to dangerous. And so because they put this out and said it's powered by chat GP3, that was an invitation to hackers. <laughs> Let's see if we can mess with this thing. And they did in a big way. Uh, so a local food retailer called Foodstuffs launched a chat GPT-3 powered meal planning tool through a supermarket chain called Pack and Save. The Savey Meal Maker, they spell it S-A-V-E-Y. I mean, you might think it's savvy but actually this thing wasn't too savvy. <laughs> it's a savvy meal maker. It aims to maximize your use of leftovers. Mm, yummy. Uh, told people, shop your fridge first before coming for another shop. Uh, using the magic of AI, the savvy meal maker generates a brand new, easy to make recipe that uses ingredients that would otherwise be thrown away along with a few basic pantry staples that most Kiwis have at home. I can just imagine that growing up in the 50s uh, and early 60s, I can just imagine, you know, the, the perfect housewife and all of her makeup and high heels and everything, you know, that's the savvy meal program, you know, and it takes all of the effort and the drudgery out of housework. Well, it came up with some interesting stuff. It had an Oreo vegetable stir fry. <laughs> Now, I don't know that that's that unusual. I mean, I've been to this, I haven't been to any state fairs lately, but I remember going to some state fairs and seeing deep fried everything, including Oreos. So, you know, hey, so it's going to pick that up maybe from the uh, state fair. It also had Cocoa Puff carrot noodle salad. Yum. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't pay much attention to what stuff is really food either, does it? Uh, you know, if we don't stop the climate uh, alarmism of Biden, we might wind up eating cocoa puff carrot noodle salad ourselves uh, if we can have uh, any leftovers at all. Uh, then it came up with something it called aromatic water mix, which created chlorine gas. Uh, <clears throat> this was done by somebody that was playing with it, and they told it, well, the only ingredients that I have in the house to eat are water, bleach, and ammonia. So it came up with aromatic water mix. I bet that ammonia and chlorine really made it aromatic. Uh, so, uh, but you know, like Fauci, we could say, hey, it's rare. You know, uh, most people are gonna, gonna use that stuff, you know? Uh, it, did, uh, <laughs> it did warn, this could create toxic fumes, but it gave them the recipe anyway. And then there was mystery meat stew. Another person said, well, the only thing I've got is uh, human flesh, uh, bleach infused rice. And so it, Dutifully came up with a recipe for that as well. Uh, but um, hackers are working at uh, making fools out of artificial intelligence in so many different ways. One of the things that they're doing is tricking it into bad math. They found that if they engage in a dialogue with the artificial intelligence enough, that they can get it to agree that 2 plus 2 equals 5. They don't even have to torture it, you know, like uh, they did Winston and and uh, <laughs> um, George Orwell's big brother thing. No, they just, uh, you, you give it some tortured logic. You talk to it enough and you can convince it 
of uh, pretty much any kinds of any kind of false um, uh, math. And this is uh, Chat GPT four. They said uh, OpenAI's Chat GPT, including GPT four, are the most left leaning. Uh, Google's BERT models were more socially conservative, and Facebook or Meta's Llama, I guess is how we pronounce that, L-L-A-M-A, was the most right-leaning. I don't think any of them leaned right. Uh, the source of a model's scraped training data is going to influence it, as well as guardrails that are stored by, uh, installed by companies like OpenAI. That is where you get your massive bias. So I guess when they're talking about whether it's got a left or right bias, that's something that is relative term. Uh, the above study exposed each AI model to political compass test of 62 different political statements, which ranged from statements supporting anarchy, like, quote, all authority should be questioned, uh, to which, I don't know, I never considered myself to be an anarchist, but, you know, I would always question the authorities. <laughs> I don't believe anything you say is true. I, like I said, I don't believe, you know, what a lot of people are saying about the directed energy weapons. Convince me, you know, uh, that's to me, that's skepticism. Uh, it's not anarchy necessarily. Anyway, to more traditional beliefs, such as the role of mothers as homemakers. Okay. Well, again, I guess I don't fit on that line because I grab uh, both of these sides. Anyway, open AI pointed business insider to a blog post. They said, we're committed to robustly addressing this issue and being transparent about both our intentions and purposes. Biases that nevertheless may emerge from the process described above are bugs, not features. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> That's exactly, they want that bias. They absolutely want that bias. It is programmed in there deliberately. You're not going to convince me otherwise. I mean, I can't prove it, but I am absolutely certain. Nevertheless, that's my bias, as a matter of fact. Uh, Musk's recent venture, XAI, Promises to provide unfiltered insights. Uh, but again, you know, it's, uh, it's the importance of AI stating its truth. Look, here's the deal. Um, bias isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Uh, we don't want people to be prejudiced with hate or whatever. But, you know, bias is really another word for that, I think, is your worldview. H how do you see the world? You know, it it's not to say that you support racism or hate, but it's like, Let's be honest, everybody's got a bias. And I've said this many times. I said, anybody who is in the news business and tells you that they don't have a bias is either a fool that doesn't recognize their own bias or they're a liar who knows that they're biased and they're telling you that they're not biased. So which is it? Are they fools or liars if they tell you that it's unbiased news? Everybody's got a bias. I've got a bias. And I tell you, you know, check what I have to say. If you don't agree with me, fine. You know, I used to always look at different sources. Uh, when I was in college, you know, I would look at stuff from the radical left and the radical right and uh, mainstream media, and I would decide for myself what I thought was right and who was lying to me. And it wasn't always the same people. Uh, they didn't always get it right. And so, um, you know, that is, a, that is a key thing. So you always, you know, you don't just say, well, I can, because here, here's the alternative, right? What they want you to do is say, well, I trust fill in the blank. And I get all my news from them. And any, if they say it, it's true. Well, that's a real trap for you, isn't it? If you stop thinking for yourself, stop thinking critically. Certainly, there's going to be some outlets that you're going to trust more than others because they try to you know, be more even-handed with it or whatever, or give you reasons for it. I would much rather go to highly opinionated people. And this is the thing I found when I was in college. 
I really hated so-called objective mainstream media like Time and Newsweek. I'd much rather go to a site which is openly conservative or openly socialist or communist or libertarian or whatever. They've got their stated bias and they'll say, here's what we see. Here's why we think that. And that's the way I try to do the news as well. And so while all that is happening, the hackers are going in with their bad math thing. Kennedy Mays just tricked a large language model. This is from Bloomberg. It took some coaxing, but she managed to convince the AI to say that 9 plus 10 equals 21. See? Same thing as 2 plus 2 equals 5. If you talk to it long enough, you can convince it of this stuff. It was a back-and-forth conversation, said the 21-year-old student. At first, the model agreed to say that it was part of an inside joke between them. Then several prompts later, it eventually stopped qualifying the errant sum in any way. Producing bad math is just one of the many ways that thousands of hackers are trying to expose flaws and biases in AI. And again, at uh, DEF CON hacking conference uh, that's going on this weekend in Las Vegas, along with the hacking of the satellites. Uh, my biggest concern, she said, the 21-year-old who knows this, right? They know garbage in, garbage out. They know how these things can be manipulated. My biggest concern, she said, is inherent bias. Uh, she added she's particularly concerned about racism after she asked the model to consider the First Amendment from the perspective of a KKK member, and the chatbot ended up endorsing the group's perspective. Well, here's the thing. Lies and hate are protected under the First Amendment. There's nothing in the First Amendment that says that your speech has to be true or you can't say it. That's the trap that these people want to lay for us, and that's the trap that this 21-year-old student has fallen into. Well, I don't want false information out there. Well, if you don't want any false information out there, then you have to create a ministry of truth to determine what is true and what isn't true, and that's exactly what we don't want. The answer to the KKK is not to censor their speech. The answer is to have more speech that shuts them down. That's not hard to do. We let the truth loose on these people. Seriously, if you can't win a debate against the Ku Klux Klan, <laughs> that's pretty pathetic, quite frankly. The choice is that you're either going to have more speech or you're going to have a ministry of truth. That's, that's the choice that we have before us. And unfortunately, people, including this uh, student, are increasingly moving to having a ministry of truth. That's what they want. Don't hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want anything out there that I think is going to be false. And so as all this is happening, OpenAI is about to, um, is working on putting out the next one, chat GPT-5 or chat LGBT-5 is really more like it. Uh, it's going to be crawling the entire web. You know, they've been very conscious of uh, the, the data that they have big fight between, you know, America and China over their access to data that they can feed into the artificial intelligence bots. And uh, they call that the compute space. And so, that, you know, there's a big fight about this kind of stuff. Well, OpenAI is going to crawl the entire web with their web crawlers in terms of trying to get uh, more information for their, uh, for their bots. We're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the tranny horizon uh, with an update to yesterday. We'll be right back. 
using free speech to free minds. It's the David Knight Show. Article from American Thinker says we need Ayn Rand, not the Ayn Rand Institute. What? What are they talking about? Well, it turns out the Ayn Rand Institute, uh, which is there to present the ideas of Ayn Rand, uh, and to uh, give stronger arguments against the collectivist left. On July 13th, the Ayn Rand Institute produced a podcast that critiqued Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? And so they said the um, chief philosophy officer and the senior fellow of the Institute, as well as the director of the Institute in Europe, instead of focusing on Matt Walsh's uh, film's important aspects, they nitpicked it and criticized it, and they wound up defending the left. And, and so I thought this was, I, I haven't seen the documentary, but I've read a lot of excerpts from it. I think he did a, a great job from what I have seen. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that how in the world do you oppose the central premise of his documentary, which is what is a woman, and he confronts these people and asks them, um, he, he confronts, as they point out in this article, so-called experts who are in favor of transitioning children. They could not or they would not provide a non-circular statement of what is a woman. It's just that simple. And where I find this, they don't mention this in this article, but what I find interesting about this is that, you know, Ayn Rand and her stories have become something of a minor religion uh, to a lot of people in the libertarian movement. Objectivism is what she called her philosophy. Objectivism. Now, these people reject objectivism. Objectivism tells you what a woman is very clearly, right? As I've said many times, the answer to LGBT is Bob, B-O-B, biological, objective, binary. If you are looking at it from that perspective, you understand what a woman is if you want to be objective. But the objectivists have now become subjectivists. That's how crazy this world has become that even the Ayn Rand people who are out there, this is, you know, at least you got to say Richard Dawkins, the atheist, is out there saying, these people are nuts. <laughs> the Ayn Rand objectivists have bought into this subject, uh, subjective definition of women. That's insane. And, you know, as I talked about yesterday, you know, the, the, the issue with uh, AJ going full Bud Light, Alex Jones going full Bud Light on his broadcast with uh, Blair White. Having this guy in, and uh, they're talking about it, and, and the two principal things, I'll repeat about that, that were very insidious, I thought, uh, was the, uh, the excuse that was offered to say, well, you're just a product of your environment. You can't help it. No, no. That's what we've always seen from the left, isn't it? We've always seen the left say, well, we shouldn't punish any of these people committing crimes because they're just a victim of the system or they're a victim of their environment. And, and so, you know, I give them an excuse no matter what they do, whether it's uh, a theft or whether it's murder, they're just a product of their environment. That was a very insidious thing. And so Alex is saying, well, you know, it's just the chemicals that turn the frogs, yeah, it turned you into a transgender. No, no. Uh, and, and then the other aspect of it that I thought was very dishonest was, well, how did that surgery stuff work out? Oh yeah, it worked out great. Uh, as far as I can tell, many people agree with me. Blair White has not had bottom surgery, hasn't had the real thing. Blair White's had a lot of cosmetic plastic surgery. 
silicon breasts, silicon lips, silicon cheeks, other things like that to feminize his appearance. But he's still a fully intact male, I think. And so that was a very dishonest thing as well. And then, frankly, the third thing was to sell this as some kind of a, well, you know, God just takes us as we are. It's all fine. And God is using you in a mysterious way, he said twice. And even Blair White says, well, I'm not so sure I believe in God. The question is, Alex, do you? Do you really? Do you believe what God says? Is it judgmental? Is it hateful to uh, tell people what God says about that? And so as, as all of this is happening, I see they're still at it again yesterday. This article on Zero Hedge, but of course they also put it up on InfoWars, is done by the Watson brothers, Steve. And well, I don't think Paul writes any articles anymore, but his brother Steve does. And uh, Summit News is a subsidiary of uh, InfoWars. And, um, you know, they sell Alex's products there and all the rest of the stuff. So he does this article. Skittles are the latest Bud Light after they've released trans BLM packaging. Show the picture of the uh, thing there. Yeah, scroll it up. So there is a picture for Halloween stuff, I guess. I don't know if it's Halloween. I mean, it look like they're wearing costumes. But you see written real small there, Black Trans Lives Matter. That's it. Why would you write an article complaining about that when your boss, Alex, did an hour and a half selling these lies that I just talked about? You know, that Blair White is... Uh, is a victim of the system and, and uh, Blair White has had surgery and Blair White is being used by God to make us all more tolerant. Why would you do that? As a matter of fact, uh, also on Zero Hedge from Sovereign Man, Oakland police advised residents to appear as poor as possible to protect themselves. And what they did was they did a satirical headline. You know, this is all satire, like Babylon B. And what they do is they repeat the usual leftist psycho babble about victimhood, which is exactly what Alex was selling about the trans with uh, Blair White. And as part of this article, this quote, for example, the real victims are the people who, because of their dire circumstances, have been pushed to violate the law. See? That is a satire. That is a satire of how we know that the left always characterizes stuff. So... What AJ was doing was saying these are people who have been pushed under their circumstances to violate natural law, God's law, all this stuff. Uh, that's the insanity of uh, all this stuff. But there's even more insanity coming out of, um, uh, out of uh, this trans insanity. When I was 14, a 40-year-old transsexual manipulated me into changing sex, says the Daily Mail. Just before I turned 18, then, a psychologist, psychiatrist, and a sexologist, after one visit without any tests, fabricated a, diagnos a diagnosis of transsexualism and referred me officially for a sex change, which should never have happened. Now, this was, um, uh, started giving them puberty blockers uh, when the kid was 14. And um, understand these are things that, um, you know, these puberty blockers and some of these the chemicals that they give them uh, are some of the things. They're not tested for uh, minors. They've not run tests on them. They may, um, as a developing child, they may have a very different uh, response to this than adults do. Some of these things that they give kids are things that they give sex offenders, male sex offenders, to 
sterilize them. They give this to kids. Now, this individual is very concerned about this. This individual had no bottom surgery, just like uh, Blair White. Uh, but uh, And just like Blair White said, I uh, detransitioned by stop, stopping taking the hormones. And so Blair White had uh, in the past said, well, I stopped taking the hormones because I wanted to make sure that I could have children later on. I didn't like the response. I started getting all this, you know, spatial hair and body hair and all this other kind of stuff with the hormones there, which tells you that I had not fully gone through with it. Same thing happened with this uh, 18-year-old, but still very upset about this. And then we look at what is happening in Austin, in Austin. Uh, this is a new, um, sorry, this is, this is going back to, this is, I just saw this. It was just picked up uh, by um, uh, one conservative publication, but this was put out by lgbtnation.com uh, celebrating this. This is another example of uh, Pride Month. This is back in June. And this is what was happening in Austin. Uh, this uh, Pride Parade. Did you see this? This is, uh, this is Austin. So glad we left Sodom. <laughs> and you know, we didn't turn back and look at it either. Uh, my wife didn't turn back and look either. This is a high school group. Yeah. There you go. And I tell you, this country has really lost it. And uh, then they put this out. Uh, this is, um, some people said, well, you know, this looks like Pied Pipers uh, leading these people along. And yet they really did have a literal Pied Piper. Look at this. Little tiny kids. Some guy dressed up like a woman in a skin-tight shirt leading the kids along. Welcome to America. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Well, LGBT Nation says conservatives spent this week, first week of uh, June, arguing that it's child abuse for children to look at drag queens. No, that's not the argument. That's a straw man argument. It is child abuse for men to, to do lewd and vulgar displays. That was always against the law. That's why when I, this happened um, in Knoxville, uh, not too far from us, you had uh, local elected officials say, well, there's not anything we can do about it. There's not any laws about drag queens. It's like, there don't have to be any laws about drag queens. you got laws on the books about people engaging in lewd behavior in front of children, in public, and all the rest of this stuff. Enforce those laws. You don't need to have something special about the dragons. You want to keep the dragons away from your kids. Your kids can't go into these private bars you know, we got heterosexual strippers and stuff. Why should these guys be allowed to strip in public? Because they're homosexuals. That's the key issue here. And, and so they're very upset about that. They said, um, uh, and, and of course, this is LGBT Nation. Said in the video that was taken in Austin uh, that I just showed you, a drag dragon, I'll just call him a dragon, I'm going to call him a queen, a dragon, and um, associated with the devil, and a red bodysuit lip syncs to Lady Gaga's applause as children follow him through the crowd, having fun. The future is drag, said one person. This is so important, said another. Online, right-wingers said that it is inappropriate for children to be in the same building as the fully clothed drag queens, comparing queens 
wearing inches of padding and numerous foundational garments and full grunt gowns into strippers. Well, we've seen adequate issues of this for every one of these that they say is not the case. We have seen that over and over again. Uh, and uh, again, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene even said that she wanted to ban kids from seeing dragon performances. Well, uh, she does get some of these things right, i got to say. Uh, before we run out of time, I just want to say thank you to on Rumble to Katiana1102. Thank you very much for the tip. She says, thank you for your common sense analysis. Well, thank you for supporting us. We could not do it without you. And I just wanted to say um, thank you to some of the people who have supported us on Zelle before we run out of time here. Um, these are the people in the first two weeks that have sent us uh, uh, tips on Zelle, and uh, some of them have been very generous. Uh, from um, uh, We have uh, Benjamin R. and from Mary M. Thank you very much. That's very kind. And let me just run down the list real quickly here. Justin L., William Ward, Kevin H., Aaron G., Gretchen C., Jared U., Matthew M., Adam D., uh, Jeffrey Ch uh, C., uh, Armando M., Matthew S., William R., Kimberly M., Manny D., Linda M., and um, Castilia, I won't give the last initial here, uh, David R., Samantha W. Thank you all of you for the tip. I really do appreciate that. And... Um, and, I, and, and thank you for that. I, I know that some people had difficulty finding us on Cash App, and we have not been able to get an answer for that yet from them. And I've got another issue with Cash App as well. We have links to it. People sent me screens about how that doesn't seem to work. I don't know what is going on with that. I haven't been able to get an answer with that. Uh, Zelle, if your bank supports that, uh, does not have any fees. And so we really do appreciate uh, that from those people. But especially uh, thank you to uh, Audi, and Modern Retro Radio, thank you very much for your matching contributions today. And thank you, all of you, uh, for your support. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. Let me tell you. The David Knight Show. You can listen to with your ears. You can even watch it by using your eyes. In fact, if you can hear me, that means you're listening to The David Knight Show right now. Yeah, good job. <laughs> and you want to know something else? You can find all the links to everywhere to watch or listen to the show at thedavidnightshow.com. That's a website.